Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by a very special guest uh, today, uh, one you know as Mac Attack. How you doing, Mr. Attack? Uh, that's not actually my name. That's a screen name that I made when I was still in high school, but you can call me Mac, sure. Okay, great. Good to be here. <laughs> We, we've already started on a bad note. He's he's lied about his identity and made me look stupid. Um, Mr. Attack, uh, or Mac, I, I think that's going to be better. Yeah, that's better. Uh, I can't wait to see what um, Teddy does with his name. At any rate, um, it's good to have you uh, on the show. Uh, the only interactions that we have had are interactions on the blog and uh, I know that there are listeners out there who might want to be on the show and are wondering, how are these people from the blogs getting on the show? How did you end up on the show? How did I? So I think I made a comment on, uh, is it the Calvinism post? And then you, you invited me on the show. You were like, okay, you should come on the show and we can talk about this more. And then here we are. Yeah, it's that easy, people. It's yeah, that pretty easy. Much, pretty even, much. even Mac could do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, give me, look, you don't have to wait till I invite you. Uh, just drop me, uh, drop me an email, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Uh, I've had a few uh, of those. I haven't gotten everyone on the show who has asked to be on just because of just finding scheduling. Uh, but, you know, the only criteria you really need to get on the show just drop me a line, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Or you can just drop by the blog, skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. Oh, I'm sorry, not WordPress, scratch that. Uh, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Uh, and uh, leave a comment in the comment section. Uh, you know, or if uh, I see you in the comments, I might say, hey, you know what? Uh, that sounds interesting. Uh, Want to be on the show? Uh, it's it's really that interesting. I uh, it, that uh, that simple. I uh, my goal is to talk to everyone who listens to the show, and then when I'm done with everyone who listens to the show, I want to talk to everyone uh, who remains alive in the world, uh, because I think that we draw closer through conversation. Uh, I think that um, Mac and I are going to have a great conversation. The fact is, we've never had a good conversation on the board. Uh, <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, I just like to say that sometimes. I read my own comments back to myself and I'm like, if I was replying to myself, I would probably hate, <laughs> I would hate myself for like, I'll be like, this guy's a jerk, even yeah. though he's trying very hard to not uh, be a jerk. Um, but I guess it's different when you're writing uh, a rebuttal towards someone uh, versus speaking to them in person. I think the tone kind of changes everything. Absolutely. Um this this is why I want more uh, text voices turned into audio voices uh, because we can better hear and understand each other that way. Uh, and, you know, again, I think it's a good example of guys. I mean, you see, you see the kind of relationship I have on the board with some of the people on the board. I still want to talk to them on the mic. <laughs> uh, and so you, you, uh, if you're thinking, Oh man, well, you know, I couldn't go on the show. Uh, I'll, you know, David's a jerk and, you know, all we do is argue. That is not a barrier, my friend. <laughs> so, uh, come on, we're going to have a, we're going to have a good conversation today. Uh, just one more bit of housekeeping. I, 
uh, had uh, a little bit of major surgery uh, that uh, on my spine went in through my throat. It's uh, they they removed a herniated disc, uh, and I only had a single level uh, removed. A lot of people have two or three, or even four levels removed at once. Uh, I because of um, some irregularities with the shape of my neck, they couldn't put in the the good um, uh, replacement prosthetic, whatever you want to call it, that allows a full range of motion. So they um, fuse the discs. Um, the, the I'm sorry, they fuse the vertebrae together uh, between where the disc was. And I'm feeling much better. Uh, I'm doing this while uh, my throat is still uh, rather swollen and sore. They move things over like your esophagus and windpipe when they go in and do the surgery. Uh, so that takes a, a little while for that to come back. And um, I, I am right up on the microphone uh, because I don't have the volume to project. Uh, I'm also wearing this, uh, this medieval tortured looking device, uh, the neck brace, and it's choking the life out of me. <laughs> I'm told that this is the way to wear it, but oh my God. <laughs> so um, a, a wiser person would not be doing this podcast right now, but you know me. I'll, I'll talk to anybody anytime under just about any circumstances. Here we go. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, conservative religion uh, a little bit uh, today. And who knows where else the conversation might go. But uh, one of the things that uh, I read from Mac uh, when I read him on the board uh, is that he um, strikes me as a very conservative person. Now, here, I have not done any pre-interview with Mac. I have no idea where he's coming from on anything. Uh, so <laughs> these are these are my impressions. We're gonna we're gonna all get to know Mac together. <laughs> so uh, that said, uh, before we uh, jump into the conversation prop, uh, proper, hello Mac, and tell us uh, a little bit about who you are in your journey to to get to the person that you are right now. Wow, that's such a broad question. Um, I guess in terms of the like the context being religion and all, I'd say uh, raised in a Christian family, but I didn't actually become a Christian till I was in my early twenties, and uh, since then it's it's mostly just been uh, uh, a deep dive into what Christianity is all about, and also like studying other religions and seeing what they're about and worldviews and all that, all that good stuff. Um, I'm not that old, although I feel like I'm old. I'm turning 28 in a few weeks. And yeah, it kind of feels, I don't know, it does feels the same. And uh, it's a crazy year, but everything's okay. Yeah, well, look, first of all, uh, 28 is a good age. I, I remember 28. Um, Great. Yeah, no, you're, you're, male brains don't really uh, form fully until they're about 25. So you're, wow. you're about three years into your brain. I'm, I'm, I'm like born again, literally. <laughs> so um, no, that's, um, that, that's fine. That's great. Uh, you have the uh, energy to do great things and fight wars. Uh, we old great. people need young people like you to, you know, be cannon fodder. Um, so, but also, uh, you know, uh, anyone who, uh, 
listens to the show and uh, knows about my former co-host, Dale. He's also a young guy, one of the smartest guys I've uh, ever interacted with. Uh, deep respect uh, for Dale. So I'm one of those people who would say um, not to despise a person for their youth. Uh, more fool you if you do. Uh, and so uh, welcome to the show. Now, you said that you grew up in Christianity and started um, seeking your own uh, way, picking your own way through Christianity, maybe, uh, you know, stepping away from your, your childhood Christianity and developing something that's more you in your early 20s. This is a fairly normal journey. Um, mm. So this is, this is something that uh, happens to ev almost everyone that I've ever talked to along the way. Uh, and so let me just ask you this. When you started finding your own direction, did you more or less uh, end up in the same place that you started? Well, I wouldn't say that I like started finding myself in the religion. It's more like as I was growing up, I never just went to one type of church, like one denomination. Mm -hmm. I was part of like at least like where I lived, there were at least five like I went to at least five different churches that had different traditions attached to them. And uh, I wouldn't say it's like I, I decided, okay, this is the right denomination or this is the right church. It's more like circumstances have brought me to different churches throughout my life. And where I am right now feels like where I should be. Mm -hmm. um, it's not more like, let me go find a church that, fits what I'm looking for. Does that make sense? Well, uh, I think that I think that we can make it make more sense uh, with a few more questions. So what you say you had a, a, an experience of uh, about five different denominations. Were they uh, conservative denominations, liberal denominations? Did they uh, run the gamut? Uh, kind of what was your experience uh, growing up in the church? I guess this is where we'd have to define what conservative and liberal means. Um, I, I'm not really, I, I don't think that's like there's a universal definition of the terms conservative. I feel like people use the words, but they could probably mean something different to someone living in Texas, to someone living where I live. And yeah. So how, uh, just based on your own definition of the words? I mean, uh, I'd say that a few of the churches that I went to, like maybe three of them, I would consider them liberal today, like right mm -hmm. now. Like they were super liberal in everything that they did, but they still were Christian churches. I wouldn't say, oh, those guys aren't Christian churches because they're more liberal than, you know, what I would consider conservative today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my experience has been pretty mixed. Uh, and, so, I, yeah, I can talk about my experience in both sides of the aisle. Okay. Well, that's good. It's good to know that you've got um, a, a broader experience. I don't think that comes through on the board. And I, I think that's something that uh, will make you a lot more relatable, uh, fr <laughs> frankly, because, um, uh, you know, a, a broader range of experience uh, means that you have been there and done that and heard that and that um you know all some of the things that that you're hearing uh other people say or addressing comments to it's not yeah. new to you yeah uh, and so i you know i think that that's important that 
we realize that we we have a, a broader range of shared experience than maybe um, maybe we first knew. So uh, <clears throat> that said, uh, are have you settled down to a particular denomination? Uh, right now, I'll, you'd call me a Reformed Baptist. And I, I guess that's the designation that you'd go with. I, I'm not sure if you've run into what that denomination is about. Uh, go ahead and give us an overview. Uh, tell us the difference between that and, say, a Southern Baptist, because I think that's what most people would um, have. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much uh, the Reformation and all that it in, entails, like uh, the five solas. Um, do I need to go over those? Uh, uh, sure, go ahead. Sola fide, uh, faith alone, uh, sola gratia, sola, uh, fi- uh, grace alone, and like pretty much just the five solas and doctrines of grace and yeah, pretty much like sola, say, sola scriptorum, sola uh, scriptura, yeah, um, sola deo gloria, glory to God. So it's um uh, pretty much based on the five solas and the doctrines of grace, which people would call Calvinism. Mm-hmm. But I just think doctrines of grace is a much better designation, and pretty much just based on the reformers, uh, the 16th century folks. Sure. Now you uh, mentioned Calvinism. Uh, I've recently had conversation with uh, Chris Date uh, on Calvinism. Uh, do you uh, do you find yourself in uh, agreement with uh, Chris's version of? Uh, Christianity, or do you have some differences um, with Chris? So that might be a good, um, good, good starting point there. Well, I would articulate things differently than he did, but I'd say we're generally in agreement. Like, if I had a conversation with him, we would find ourselves agreeing more than we disagree. So we would be like, "Yeah, I agree with that," but I'd be like, "Maybe you should say it like this, so that you don't confuse someone." You know, like mm-hmm. how I. I kind of clarified his uh, position where I was like, if you say it like that, like when he explains something, for instance, to me, I'll be able to know what he means. But if he explains it to someone who isn't a Calvinist, they'll be more, they'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, they'll be like, that sounds insane. That sounds crazy. Uh, but I'd say I generally agree with him, but mm-hmm. I'd be more different in how I articulate my thoughts. Can you think of a particular example uh, where you would maybe articulate something a little bit differently than uh, what he does? Uh, man, I'd have to go back and check what I actually wrote. Like it was a really long post, but like it had to do with uh, uh, unconditional election. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, and when someone reads unconditional election, it sounds like uh, that it's saying that there's like a draft and people are <laughs> are picked. Like, oh, you go to heaven, you go to hell, something like that. Whereas what it means is that election is, is not based on, a, on like a condition. So like the term itself ha- doesn't have to do with like people being favored. Right. More to do with like the election itself, like God's election, not depending on what humans do. Like it's, it's completely independent of human action. Right. So the way Chris uh, described it, I thought was... Um... Pretty at least I I felt like I understood what he meant, although he had to say it a few times before I got it. Um, yeah. So it's it's if I can come up with a an analogy here, like um, it's not like we are all made uh, as blank slates, 
and then after after that god chooses some to be elect and some to be not elect rather he makes us in the category that we are in he makes the elect elect from the start that the, the elect have always been elect because that's how they were made um and the unelect were always the unelect that's how they were made there was no selection process uh from a bunch of, of so to speak. yeah well i would agree that but i would also like i wouldn't phrase it like that like i wouldn't say that like there's a sense in which that is generally true but there's like a sense in which someone uh, does it like there's no way for a human being to like delve into oh am i elect or am i reprobate you know like that's not something that is relevant to human beings like it's not something that i can know about someone else you know like i don't walk walk down the street and say oh that guy's probably not elect you know right um, but god I knows i mean it's because it's it's true from the beginning so it, here yeah. i am here here i go with another um, analogy these things get worse as i go uh, okay. but uh say some are blackbirds and some are bluebirds they were bluebirds are made bluebirds. Blackbirds are made blackbirds. That's what they are. Um, mm -hmm. They are ontologically that, and one cannot become the other. There's no question of, you know, a blackbird saying, "Might I become a bluebird if I tried hard?" No, you're a blackbird. A bluebird's a bluebird. That's how you were made from the beginning. That's kind of how I uh, understood Chris's uh, what he was saying with the with the elect. Uh, but again, but then again, the the issue about the doctrine of election that elect that doctrine itself like i feel like it is more relevant to people who are already believers to believe like so that you can know that your salvation is in something that you know that you kind of lucked into or you work you worked your way into or you just it just happened to happen because you were uh i don't know lucky if you want to use that word or, or you were a good person and then you got it but more to do with like giving you assurance that, you know, like your salvation isn't something that, you know, is in doubt. Like tomorrow you could wake up and oh, all of a sudden you're back in the unelect column. Well, right. So there we run into our first challenge, I think. We, uh, this, is, by the way, is not even on my notes to talk about. It's, it's just interesting. Uh, but I think that we have a, a fairly big hurdle to get over, uh, because it's one thing to say the doctrine of the elect is a comfort to um, the elect, but you just said it yourself. You don't. We don't know who the elect is and who isn't. And so um, I have uh, often wondered with people who espouse this type of doctrine, how do you know that you're one of the elect? Uh, you might have a strong delusion so that you believe a lie. Um, and so what, in fact, is the guarantee uh, that one is elect, because if one cannot know whether they're elect or not, the doctrine of the election is not a comfort at all. It's a it's a matter of great anxiety. Well, <laughs> all right. I feel I feel like there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll I'll just say that when someone believes in Jesus and, and has faith in Him, and they know like there's a way that someone can know that their life has changed and that they are walking in a way that they weren't walking in before, that is the biggest indication that they are part of the elect. And that uh, if their daily life 
is like constant, like they are constantly reflecting on whether they are walking according to God's will versus walking according to the world's will, then it becomes an issue of, uh, I don't know, there's a way, you know, like, let me think of an analogy. Um, like if you're, uh, wow, uh, wow, you can't really, I can't really think of one right now, but I'll be sure to post one in the comments. But like, <laughs> real, real way, time conversation is a lot harder. Yeah, 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 there's a way in which you can know that you are elect based on how your life is right now compared to how it used to be. So it's okay. not a question of you I, being like, oh, Mac, I don't. Know. I, I think you're taking. I think you're not taking into account uh, lived okay. experience and the the millions of examples we have of people who have uh, converted to Christianity uh, either, you know, as a child or as an adult, they've been baptized. They uh, feel this endorphin rush. Uh, their life has changed. They're, uh, they're now uh, witnessing to their friends and family and they're the, the model of good behavior. And then something happens along the way and then they fall away and um, they're back. Now on, at, at the first part of it, that experience, you might say, Oh, they know they're elect. But then on the second part of their experience, you will say, well, that's just evidence that they were never elect. Well, so, I wouldn't. Okay, that's the, the issue. Like, even if someone ends up apostatizing, right? Like, it, it would still be wrong to say, oh, that person is not elect because you never really know. Like, you, you never really know for sure if someone uh, is unelect because they could end up having a legitimate conversion later on in their life. So that's why you are, like, you don't... Uh, make these kinds of judgment calls because you're not really in a position to be like, Oh, that person used to be a Christian, but now they're not. So that means they're not elect for sure. Because the whole deal with repentance is that it's a continual lifelong process. It's not like you repent once and that's it. You know, you're like, okay, set for life. It's a daily thing. And so the way it's presented in the new Testament and in all of scripture is that, you are constantly chasing after a prize. And okay, here's the analogy is like, you are running a race, right? You're not going to quit halfway and be like, okay, I just finished the race. You have to finish the race in order to get the prize that you, you say that you are running for. You're not just gonna, I don't know, get, get to the, like the halfway line and be like, um, you know, I, I really don't feel like finishing this, but, I should still get what I'm owed, you know, like your mind wasn't fully set on the, on the finish line to begin with. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't track with that and I'm trying very hard. So let me just use me as a personal example. Um, <clears throat> by that definition, I might still be elect. I certainly thought I was elect once upon a time. Well, yeah. Like it, it's not something you can't be like, Oh, I, 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 I'm not a Christian anymore. Therefore I'm not elect because I, I don't think there's any basis of that in, in scripture. I, I can't find it. I've never had anyone show me that. Do you think that there are people who once thought that they were elect, who at the end, in, in the final analysis, turns out they're not elect? Do you believe that that category of person exists? Like, what do you mean? Like they're, they, they're they think they think they're elect. Uh -huh. Maybe they even die thinking they're elect, but they, they think they're a Christian uh, and in, it turns out, uh, Jesus says, uh, I never knew you. I never knew you. Yeah. Do, do you think that exists? 
like that's going to happen to some people. Okay, and well, those people all think that they were elect. Yeah, but then those people are in a, in a are in a kind of a unique position because, like, the way they they live. So it's a question of like, how are you living? You know, you know how you live. Well, they your were life. casting out demons. It's one of the most powerful uh, gifts of the spirit one can have. So yes. they they were able to do that, and they were faithful to God. And when they got to heaven, they recognized it, and they were ready to march in. And it turns out that they were wrong. Now you can't tell me that person was living a reprobate life or anything like that. That's not how the passage presents it at all. They believed that they were in right standing with God, and they weren't. Check this out, David. What what happened? What happened with Judas? Was did he ever cast out demons? Did he ever preach the gospel? Uh, yes, he did. But by by your um, uh, the way you said it before, he might still be in heaven. No. <laughs> so, because you know, just because he did something wrong and then uh, died with his guilt doesn't mean that. No, the way, the way I said it is that there's like two ways of looking at it like the first is like okay yeah you can cast out demons you can preach the gospel you can do all these you can literally walk around with jesus himself but then again it's like a question of like where is your actual devotion at like do you love money and stealing from the money back like judas did and no one no one was able to suspect him for three years and the issue there isn't that oh wow judas is preaching the gospel out there man and he's uh casting out demons the issue is that judas in his heart did not really believe jesus was who he said he was okay but the, once again the kind of person that uh, is discussed at the end of matthew 7 i think it is um yeah that kind of that kind of person did die believing that they were in the loving embrace of god they they did call out lord lord their entire lives they did uh, died doing good deeds and casting out demons. No, but Judas, Judas died a betrayer. And this passage doesn't doesn't seem to um, provoke that type of thought. These are just people who were wrong about their standing with God. And they were wrong. Yeah, that's that's true. Like they were wrong about their standing with God. But then again, it's because like their heart, like the reason that Jesus condemns them is because like they did all these things but their heart wasn't in the right place like they were like saying lord lord but they weren't doing like they were uh, workers of iniquity i believe that's the phrase that's used they you know when no one else was watching at least this is how i read the passage is that these people did things for show they cast out demons they were preaching the gospel but behind closed doors they were different people that they were not people that jesus would you know associate with his message yeah well i so that, that, that may be so but i i don't know of anyone who doesn't or any christian who does not struggle with some sin or other uh being a christian doesn't mean being uh morally perfect uh, and so, once again, I'm not I'm not entirely sure how anyone is supposed to know at any point whether they are elect or not. Uh, that that doctrine of election uh, scared the bejesus out of me when uh, I was a conservative Christian looking at Calvinism. 
Uh, now, I happen to believe that, um, I, I, I kind of came to believe that that is consistent with what the Bible was saying, um, but it, I found no comfort there. And I never could come up with any kind of framework that would uh, ensure my own personal salvation. Furthermore, I only met a handful of people in my lifetime who supposedly were confident in their salvation. Almost everybody, when you talk to them long enough, uh, were very tense about that. Uh, They didn't know. And so there's there's no way to know, as near as I can tell. Here's the thing, David. uh, The whole... Uh, salvation, like your salvation being confirmed and for sure, that's not something that you do. Like, at least the way it's presented in the New Testament, it's like the Holy Spirit is the one that, you know, sustains you through it. Like the whole, the whole Trinity is involved, you know, Jesus interceding for you, the Holy Spirit sustaining you and the Father forgiving you of your sins. It's a whole triune process from the moment that someone believes to the point that they die. Like you are being sustained by the entire Trinity up until that moment. It's not simply that you are the one who's working it out. And I'd say to anyone who's like afraid, like, oh no, am I elect, you know, because I keep sinning all the time. Like I would say to that person, the fact that you feel like you are in trouble shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't make you feel scared. It should actually uh, prompt you to be, you know, even more repentant about your current state, you should have more, uh, uh, a bigger, like a bigger zeal to, you know, keep repenting and trusting in Jesus that he is sanctifying you in your life as opposed to thinking that, uh, oh man, I'm going to drop the ball. Because first of all, salvation isn't something that you earn. It's a gift. So if it's a gift, then the person who gives, gives it to you is going to help you all the way through. And this is kind of what Paul says in Philippians about God carrying it all the way, like all the way to the day of Christ Jesus. Right. Well, you know, I got a feeling that we're going to get some discussion on this in the, um, in the comment section. Um, So I I suppose that the responsible thing for me to do would be to move on to uh, the actual notes that I have, (laughs) but um, I find it, I find it interesting on election, but okay, maybe another day. Yes. No, I will look, this is, we might swing back around here. I, it's, it is very interesting. I don't, I don't see any sense in, in a practical way where someone knows whether they're saved or not. And you can say, well, you know, they're, they're carrying the ball, but someone's helping them to using a football analogy, they're helping them get through the, the line into the clear and into the end zone That's great. But, you know, on a football field, which I had been on, you actually know when you're carrying the ball because it's a ball. It's a, it's a big piece of pig skin uh, stuffed in your gut. And, uh, and, you know, people are trying to kill you to, to get it. Uh, you, there's no confusion about when you're carrying the ball and when you're not carrying the ball. And yet in Christianity, it's like, we're all, you know, running around with invisible balls pretending to, you know, crashed through the end line there. There's no way to know who, if any of you, is carrying the ball or not. Well, I wouldn't say that's true because there are people who definitely, like, you, there's a way you can know. Like, someone's a Christian and they're like, I used to be an alcoholic for whatever number of years. And they're like, when I believed in Jesus, my desires, my 
tendencies were taken away and I'm trusting Jesus to help me throughout the rest of my life in terms of putting to death the things of the flesh and generally being a Christ-like person, that person, I would say, has an actual assurance. It's not like they're wondering, oh man, am I gonna, to, like, am I gonna wake up tomorrow and it's gonna be all gone? Because then there's a way that this doctrine can be perverted too, because someone can be like, oh, I'm saved, therefore I can do whatever I want. And I would say that someone who thinks like that is actually proving that they're not a Christian, where you're like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can yeah. do whatever I want because... I could, I could match you counterpoint for counterpoint with um, people who have said the same thing about Buddhism uh, or Islam, uh, you know, Islam in particular. Oh, yeah, well, I was an alcoholic, but, you know, I met Allah in my life changed uh that is an example (laughs) i was intrigued that this is like the 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 fundamental thing the fundamental difference with christianity is a a a change in the nature of someone it's not just like i just picked alcoholism because that's the one that just came to my mind but but at the end of the day you need some kind of practical example some kind of practical way to know whether you are in or out and there I'm, I'm saying there's no practical way for you to know it because no matter what example you come up with those examples exist in other religions and well i, I really haven't can, heard a buddhist say it but i'll i guess i'll take your word for it sure well i mean you know stick with islam there's you know, there's um they're going to overtake christianity uh in a in a few decades uh and they have just as many stories of uh, miraculous changed lives. Christians think that they have somehow this, um, uh, the copyright or the, the patent on changed well, lives. They do not. I honestly don't think that, like, I'm not saying that conversion means that oh, all of a sudden I dropped all my bad habits. It's, it's far more than that. I'm just saying that a good evidence is, for example, you know, like, I'm not just saying this is the only one. I'm saying right, but there are good- people who don't automatically drop those habits who would be among the elect too. So that's well, not a good example. <laughs> again, you, 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 you did the fallacy thing, like the thing where you just said among the elect, like there's no way of anyone on earth knowing who's among the elect. Like you can't be like Bob is elect. Because, well, I rest my case then <laughs> because there's no, 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 no. there like, is no way of knowing. <laughs> no, I'm saying that there's no way for you to, to look at another person and say that person over there is elect because election, again, is something that, that only God knows, like God. Okay, but I, I would go, I would make a stronger statement than that. I think that's a, a trivially easy statement. I think there's no way for the elect to know whether they're elect or not. And I'm saying that's wrong because someone always knows they're like, they will know for themselves if they are or if they're not based on how they Except live for the ones who are wrong about it. Well, those people then also know in the sense that they are, you know? How, what, they, they think the they're elect, but they know they're wrong? Yeah, like, like, check, check this out. Judas, right? He was unsuspected by the 12 disciples, by the other 11, right? Uh, Like, did any of them suspect him to be a thief? I don't know. Well, they didn't. He was the guy that they trusted the most with the money bag. Judas preached the gospel. Judas cast out demons. But at the end of the day, like Jesus knew that Judas was going to do what he did. And so Judas can't at the end of the day be like, hey, I didn't, you know, like, 
Why am I not part of the elect when I did all these things? Well, Judas, you're still responsible for how you lived your life behind everyone's, you know, like what you did behind everyone's okay. back. But you're you're giving you're giving an example of someone that you think was an active hypocrite uh, for their their time uh, with Jesus, and I am I'm, and I am I'm talking about much. people who were not active hypocrites who end up being wrong. They're well, wrong. I don't think that it's possible to not be a hypocrite and then you you show up at heaven's gates and Jesus turns you away and says. I never knew you. So if a person sincerely believes that they're a Christian, uh, then that is evidence that they are a part of the elect. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I said. It's, it's more like if someone lives their life, you know, like, first of all, they have faith in Christ and there's evidence of that, of that, of their changed, like a renewal being born again, changed. What if they're Catholic? I don't know how you stand on that. I mean, a lot of a lot of people in the in in your side of the fence don't believe that Catholics are real Christians. They're going to heaven. Well, I wouldn't. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this much: there are people who go to Catholic churches who are actually saved. Okay, and I mean people who are actually Catholics who they identify well, themselves as Catholics. They are Catholics as far as they know. Uh, well, I, can, I can't really make a judgment call. Like I said, like I can't make a judgment call and be like, that person's not they, like... They, they pray to, you know, to Mary three times a day. They, you know, they, they take the, well, the holy sacraments. People. They confess yeah. to a priest in a confessional. They're Catholics. They're not kind of Catholics. They're not other people in a Catholic church. Those All people right. who live good, reformed, changed lives, are they saved or not? I'll say this. The doctrine of election has to do with someone's final status if someone goes to a catholic church and does all those things and and god delivers them out of it then they were always like no they die no they die catholic they die catholic then yes how how am i supposed to judge like obviously you you know the answer to that question right I they're not know the answer okay no you see, i wouldn't say that they're not christians <laughs> you didn't say they're not christians no <laughs> okay, so I guess then we can jump into the topic of the day because we kind of went into the rabbit trail there as like oh, what what conservative it a, means. It was a very tasty rabbit, uh, you, you must admit. Um, let me let me um, yeah let me let me just touch on that very quickly because I uh, you know none of this is, I, I told you from the beginning these conversations they're hydra headed monsters you you think that you can control them and you can't. Um, so um, I mentioned Catholics simply because I know that uh, people on uh, the Calvinist side of the fence, a lot of them, not all of them, um, uh, kind of have this rough relationship with Catholicism. They would not, in fact, include Catholics as a part of the big tent um, of, well, of Christianity. I'll, I'll say this. I went to a Catholic high school and I would say that some of the people that I knew there were like better Christians than some people that I know who weren't Catholics. And I'll say this much. I won't say that, okay, that person over there, because he goes to our, our Roman Catholic church is unelect. Like if someone is genuinely, you know, following Jesus and, and they're seeking him and, and, and I run into them and they're like, listen, I go to the Roman Catholic church. Then the conversation that I'll have with that person is going to be totally different than the one that I have with an atheist, for example, because in my, like my conviction is that uh, God is going to save 
the elect. Like there's not there's no chance that someone can slip through the cracks and be like, oh, oops, I ended. I was a Catholic all my life, so here I go, getting damned. It, it's more like God will intervene the moment He intervenes for someone that He has purpose to save. Right, and if He does not intervene, and a person lives and dies a good, faithful Catholic, you're saying that that person is not a part of the elect. Yeah. The, yeah. I'm, okay. Because we're all so, under we're all under sin. We're all under judgment. Why right. Yeah. So as an as an as a former Christian, I don't make a distinction between Catholics and other types of Christians. So I would say that they're all in the big tent, capital C Christendom um, yeah. okay. uh, umbrella. Now, when I was a Christian, here's what you have to understand: I was in a, a church that was probably more conservative than yours. I wouldn't have thought of you as a Christian. Because I thought of uh, my understanding was that we were th- those in my denomination were the only ones who were going to be saved. Uh, that was the one true right denomination. In guess what, Mac, you ain't in it. <laughs> Which denomination was this? Uh, the uh, Church of. I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Uh, the Churches of Christ, or uh, otherwise, the Church of Christ. The Church uh, of Christ. Yeah. Okay. Um, and is that, is that the Related to the LDS, because no, no, thinking of something else. Yeah, oh, it's, no, it's not, okay. Yeah, not that. Uh, the Church of Christ or Churches of Christ, if you look those up, are large. Their biggest denominational distinctive that people can recognize is that they don't use instruments uh, in worship. Okay. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> that said, ironically, there are uh, Church of Christ instrumental. <laughs> that is a. Um, a small off <laughs> branch of the denomination. Um, so a little little fun fact about crazy denominations. How, how big is this denomination? Like, how would you like its size? Couple million. Couple million? Yeah. Okay. So, like, are they bigger it's, than? It's not. It's not the smallest out there, um, but it's you know, it's not. It's not the Southern Baptists by any by any means. But like, you wouldn't say it's like Lutheran big or. Uh, mm. Baptist or um, Presbyterian? Or. No, and it, it big is not even the only um, variable that matters here. It's not that old. So uh, this denomination, you can begin to identify it uh, in uh, 1906 and, and thereafter. Um, it but, started in America, right? Yes, it's a part of the uh, what historically would be called the American Restoration Movement. That is different from the Reformation movement. So um, there are a number of churches that uh, branched from the Restoration movement, and the Churches of Christ is one of those. Um, this is all very dry, boring history. Nobody wants to hear me talk about that. <laughs> about, okay, no, about church history. I, I but if, if there are people who want to hear me talk about church history, write in. I might do a solo show uh, on that. Yeah, well, when talking about denominations, I think it's important for like, because like the the argument that I think is also kind of valid is people say, oh, well, there's too many denominations. How am I supposed to know which one's the right one? Yeah. But then again, if if you don't go into like when this denomination started, like there are some denominations that started like 20 years ago, then obviously like you'll be able to, you know, kind of have a great perspective of, you know, is this denomination legit or is it, you know, 
Yeah, I don't so, actually, I don't find that argument uh, very persuasive. Uh, a denomination that was born 20 years ago is no more likely to be wrong or right than a denomination that was born 100 years ago versus one born 1,000 years ago. Why is that? Because uh, the church proper, uh, a Christian has to believe, was born uh, when Jesus gave it birth. So if it's less than 2,000 years old, it's too young. If it's less than 2,000 years old. But, yep. you know, well, then I'd have to ask you what you mean by the church. Like, what does being part of the church mean? Well, I would say um, the... To the degree that Jesus had anything like an institution in mind when he told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, to the degree that the church had an identity when Paul said um, uh, in his writings, there is uh, one, uh, one body, uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, the body, uh, being associated uh, by Paul with the church, one body, one church. Uh, whatever that body was, uh, that is the church. And it is much older than anything yep. else that you can come up with history. And so if your quote unquote denomination is not that, uh, then you don't have any better claim just because you're a little bit older than some other denomination. Well, it's not more like I was arguing that oh, because something is older than that, that means it's true. It's more like I'm saying that there, there are ways in which you can filter out the denominations where, like, they nitpick. Like, for example, someone starts a denomination like uh, the, I don't want to call the LDS a denomination, but there are some de denominations out there, like, that have their own spin on things based on current events. And But I would argue all denominations are, are those very same nitpickers. They think that they're particular denominational distinctive is the important one. It was so important that they had to branch off and form their own movement because they were the ones who were right and the other guys were wrong. All well, that's, that's how denominations not, form. That's not necessarily true because, okay, so based on your experience of like growing up in a, what I would call a fundamentalist uh, denomination where it's like, we're the only Christians in town and everyone else is wrong. And I actually recently ran into someone who was, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this one, called uh, Jesus Only, oh, yeah. where it's like uh, the denomination is about just sticking to the red letter words and pretty much just the four Gospels, nothing else. No Paul, mm -hmm. no John, no Peter, not, nothing, just four Gospels. And I was asking this individual, so what happened to the rest of the New Testament? Like, did the early church have to you know, did the early church actually treat the gospels this way before, before the gospels were written in 780? Like those people, were they not real Christians? And surprisingly enough, they couldn't answer because when someone says Christian today, they think, oh, you must believe in the Bible. And that's true. But like, consider the fact that for about 400 years, like there was no canonized Bible and that there were some Christians who actually were Christians before Paul ever wrote anything or Paul ever became a convert or Matthew ever wrote anything, you know, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. In fact, the way we got around that uh, was by saying, by the way, this is the way every denomination who thinks that they are exclusive gets around it is uh, they are the church that uh, Jesus established. 
They are the church of his disciples and his apostles, and it has existed throughout the ages uh, in remnant form. And, you know, we might see some historical uh, accretions of when that church came back through some great reformation or some great restoration. And that may be attached to a, a particular person or a particular date. Uh, but that said, the church has always existed. And we are simply now that visible remnant uh, that is uh, associated to Jesus directly and unbroken for 2,000 years. Well, well, as someone who goes to a Reformed Baptist church, I definitely don't think that my denomination is like only people who are Reformed Baptists are actual Christians. And I'm pretty certain that I'm sorry, like, like I was reading your article and I was hoping to like come across a statistic or something of like how many Christians think their denomination is the only true one, but I don't think it covered it. But I'd say like a vast majority of Christians don't think that way. They don't think that their denomination is the only one. Oh, I agree. No, I it's, that, a, it's, it's very cult-like behavior. Yeah, I uh, think it's the, only the cults that do this. Like, but and but it, I, it, I also it, think it, that all Christianity is a cult. So Yeah, well, I know you think that because you're an atheist, but like at no, the same no, no. time, you, you kind of have to assess the, the, the fact that Christianity, for the most part, isn't very, like, it's not saying, oh, those people over there, because they don't come to my church or they don't do the service this way, then they're not real Christians. Yeah, but you're just talking about the difference between an ecumenical and a non-ecumenical church. Christianity is just as, uh, Christianity, Big C, uh, Christendom, is just as cult-like as my little denomination was. Uh, because Christianity is, by its very nature, exclusive. It is an exclusive religion. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In, in saying things like that, he is being very exclusionary. And so he's still saying the only way you can be saved is through the, um, let's call it big tent denomination of Christianity. So you can't be saved through the Buddha or through Hare Krishna or through some other door that a billion people go through. But what does cult then mean? What is, does it just mean exclusionary? Like, well, in the way that we were just using it a minute ago, yes, I uh, I acknowledged that my uh, denomination is very cult-like. I still believe that it is. But uh, when I say all of Christianity is a cult, it's a cult in the same way that I say that my smaller Christianity, uh, smaller denomination is a cult. It's just a, it's just a bigger tent cult. Well, I think you're kind of misapplying the term then because, again, you're, you're taking your experience and you're applying it to a broad range because – yeah, Jesus did claim exclusivity, and that's completely different than what all the other religions of the world do. Like, you would agree with that, right? Because uh, no, I think the Muslims are pretty exclusive too. And I was just about to address that. Like, Muslims that I have talked to in person, I've asked them straight up, and I wish we could get a Muslim on the show if that's possible. Uh, if I can get one on the show, I'll have you talk to him because I actually have no interest in Islam whatsoever. We can have the conversation, hopefully. <laughs> Fight, fighting, fighting one ridiculous fable is enough. I can't do two, three, four, all of them. Yeah, you got to it, choose. It, it, it's a question of like, you know, getting to what people actually believe because you can say, well, Muslims believe that they're super exclusive. And Okay, stop it. Well, stop it right there. Stop it. Stop it. I need I need to get some clarification right now because I I'm okay. going crazy. I live in the I live in the Northeast. Uh, is it Muslim or Muslim? 
Now, I just heard you say Muslim, and I think I heard you say Muslim earlier. I need a clarification. Well, it depends on how you sit, like what part of the world you're from. So, like, I speak Swahili and Arabic. So, like, if I go to a North African country, people say Muslim. They don't say Muslim. That's a completely American, a Western way of saying it. But if you go say that in Algeria, people will think you're nuts. So it's it's a it's a pronunciation issue. Okay. Uh, All right. for, for the rest of the show, the word is is now Muslim. Muslim. It's, it's Muslim. Just Most, say the, Muslim. the way the way the way you'd say put or something. Put put. Yes, yeah. Muslim. Yep, there you go. That's Muslim. how you're supposed to say okay. it. But uh, back you. to what was I even saying? Uh, it, it doesn't matter. It wasn't that important. Uh, no, the, no, no, no. Okay, I was saying, okay, exclusivity in Islam, oh, yes. just so that we can get back on topic. Like, yes. you talk to any Muslim anywhere, like the ones that I've talked to, and I've asked them, okay, if I live my entire life, I give them this scenario, live my entire life, a good person, but I never hear about Muhammad or Allah, what's going to happen to me on Judgment Day? And every single time I've asked someone that question who was a Muslim, they've said, um, you could still go to heaven. That's, pretty, that's consistently what I've been told. It's so, interesting because that's, the, you know, that's the difference between a liberal Muslim, Muslim and a conservative Muslim. Um, just like there are liberal Christians and conservative Christians. I, and I don't think that the liberal branch of... Um, Islam. Well, uh, when you read the New Testament, do you think that is true? Like, do you think someone would be able to be like, I've been a good person my entire life, let me into heaven? Does that still apply? Uh, no. No. Uh, okay. I don't. If you see, but now you have to understand. I grew up. I grew up conservative, like yourself. So we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of agreement on. No, I grew up interpreting in the Bible. Both I was in the liberal camp and the conservative camp. And well, I say I grew up, you grew up, but you landed in a place that's very conservative. We don't, we don't need to mince words there. I, I think that you and I would probably have a deep agreement on how we would interpret the Bible. Uh, we're going to get there in a minute. I promise we're going we're gonna to move things along. Um, but it's, it's a question of... So I, I do think that uh, Christianity is exclusive. Uh, I do, th really? and, I, and I recognize that there are a lot of people listening uh, who are Christians who would say, no, no, it's not. I've had uh, a number of guests who would, uh, who would push back on that. But I do think uh, that is a biblical position, but that's also what makes it w one of the things that puts it in the category of a cult-like uh, thing for me. I still think you're misusing the word cult, but okay. Okay. Well, if you think that it's uh, okay to use it for something like uh, the Church of Christ, just because they're small, um, well, you know, you can you can have a big cult, you know. <laughs> the definition of cult. Well, you can have a big cult. It's still a cult. No, no, you can't. You. It's like saying you have a big. What's a a, a big puppy? You know, it's like you no. Know, you have a dog. You ever, you ever had a salmon or a puppy? Uh, I've had two of them, and I'm going to tell you right now, they are big. <laughs> They're born big, and they just get like, bigger. The official definition of a cult is like a, a small group of people having like their 
against the canonical like view. They're a, they have to be. Okay, but Christians started off as that small group that were against the canonical view, in this case, Judaism. Um, or uh, if you want to talk about the broader uh, cultural, uh, religious cultural uh, uh, matrix that they were in, maybe Romanism. Uh, so Christianity, uh, it, in fact, it was called a cult uh, quite frequently, and so called atheists. So I guess Christians are atheists. <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm, look, you can't, you can't, you can't just say Christianity is big, so it's not a cult. It wasn't always big, and it was a cult. Uh, it's, it's simply a it's simply a successful cult. No, you can't say that uh, Christians are atheists too, because that's what you can find people writing and saying Christians are atheists. But like, that's not the definition of the term. I tell you what, as we, as we use it today, if I can uh, draw, if I can draw up an affinity, I will uh, start a fight with you on the board uh, about cults. Uh, Listeners, you're welcome to join in. Uh, In fact, listeners, you're welcome to start the fight and uh, Mac and I will get in there (laughs) at some point. So yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Here's the thing. I haven't even started on our notes. <laughs> so this, this podcast was going to last an hour. Um, that's not going to happen. Uh, so look, we, uh, we have both made reference to a document uh, uh, that I shared before the podcast. I will put that document uh, in the notes. Uh, but Mac, uh, you and I, I think, had some basic agreement on this document. It's kind of the uh, thing that, that launched this conversation, at least in my mind. Uh, it's the idea... Uh, that Christianity uh, has undergone a lot of change and is still undergoing a lot of change over time. I would describe that change as moving away from uh, conservative uh, fundamentalist Christianity to something more liberal or progressive, uh, depending on, you know, what words uh, you like to use. This article uh, describes uh, the, uh, let me see if I can, I've lost it. Anyway, it talks about um, how uh, it's, this is from the Barna group, uh, Barna, Barna research group. Uh, People, I want to say 6%, only 6% of uh, Americans uh, have a biblical worldview. And that's uh, cut in half from 50 years ago. Um, And I would actually think that it feels like the numbers used to be higher and that the numbers are actually smaller today. So perception wise, it actually, it feels more dramatic uh, than what it is, but it, it talks about the decline of the quote unquote biblical worldview. And I think that we both agree that there has been a change in um, worldview uh, and religion in America in particular. Um, in uh, really throughout the world, I think it's even more dramatic in in uh, parts of Europe. Uh, but we we got stuck uh, uh, when we were talking about this earlier on what a biblical worldview is, and so I was hoping to pick up the conversation there uh, to kind of lead into some of uh, what I had planned to talk about today. So first of all, do you uh, concur uh, that? Uh, religion, uh, American religion, as practiced and understood by uh, uh, your average Joe and Josephine on the street, has changed over the years. Um, I can say that it's changing. That I, I wouldn't say that it's completely changed, but like there, there, this stuff from the culture that's kind of trying to make its way in. Uh, 
And as a result, things are changing all the time because the culture is changing. But this has always happened. Like, it's always happened in history. But it's definitely happening right now in a more visible way. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say that culture has always changed, but it hasn't always necessarily affected the church as dramatically as it, as it is now. Well, it seems like this was kind of huge in terms well, of, of yeah. yeah so there, yeah. there's some, there's some big uh, events to be sure, but I, I think that there was a time even, you know, in within the last century where the church held its ground better than, mm. it, than it is now. I don't think like that the church specific, is holding its ground very well. Do you have like a specific issue in mind? I do. I've got a number of them. Um, we'll, and uh, we'll talk about them. But I, yeah, I do think that there has, even in my lifetime, uh, from the time that I started being a Christian to, to right now, uh, it seems like the church has undergone uh, some, some pretty dramatic change. And so I, wanted, I do want to talk about uh, some of that, and I, I will just express a theory uh, to the board for those who would like uh, me to present a broad target for you to shoot at uh, in the comments. It is this. Uh, I think that all religion uh, moves away from its fundamentalist roots uh, over a long enough timeline. It, it will either become uh, very liberal or it will disappear uh, altogether. Uh, but it does not, church, over, over time, religions don't become more conservative. Well, I'd, I'd counter that by saying uh, the religions that become more liberal, are the ones that kind of disappear and fade into the, the rest of the world, and they just become something that people do as part of their daily life. So for instance, like uh, Buddhism in China, uh, like a huge majority of the people there are Buddhists, but like it's not really, how do I say it? It's not really seen, seen as a religion because, uh, yeah, you have priests and the, the idols and the, the, the Buddha statues, but essentially the religion itself becomes just part of daily life because that's the culture of the day and it's becoming fused with uh, the rest of society. Right, so, uh, but I th yeah. I would I would actually contend that that's true of Christianity. It's uh, Judaism is considerably older than Christianity. You look at the state of Judaism. Uh, I think that that will be the state of Christianity in another thousand years, if we <laughs> if we survive another thousand years. I don't think so, but okay. Well, I'm I'm sure that the Jews of uh, Abraham's day didn't think so either. Well, there were uh, no but look at them. Jews back in Abraham's day were there. Well, the, state, the state gets its name from Jacob. Okay, so I, I tried to go <laughs> to the roots of it, to the beginnings of it in the biblical story, giving giving everything its full credit. No, I just, Don't make me I say what I really think about the uh, the history of the Jews. I uh, just love people when they're like super precise with their I don't yeah, know, history. That's fine. Uh, the, the, the Jews in Moses' day... Uh, thought that they were uh, pretty hot stuff. Uh, they wouldn't recognize Judaism today. Um, and so uh, I'm just saying Christianity, given that long enough timeline, they're going to be in the same place. Islam uh, is already making that major shift. Uh, newer religions such as uh, the LDS uh, have made a huge transition from uh, their beginnings to now. It's a, 
you know, it, and so the trend happens uh, slower or faster depending on the size, uh, I think, of the religion. But uh, you believe I, that Christianity from the first few centuries has changed from what you see today? Yes. How so? Uh, I'll talk. I'll, I'll talk about it. That's a good question. Uh, but I would say, in in broad brushstrokes, uh, I think the Christians of the first century, uh, they did in fact have a much more cult-like mentality, and I don't even mean that in a bad way. Uh, but they were a lot more serious about what they believed. Uh, they were willing to die for what they believed. Uh, they had some some pretty cool, pretty radical approaches, I think, to what they believed, and they had some radical differences. Um, from the uh, society around them, the communities around them. Uh, so they were easily distinguished, I think. And today, well, Christians just kind of blend into the culture. It's just uh, tofu. Well, I think you're kind of tunnel visioned because like that, that still happens to Christians. Like it's happening to Christians in China right now. I don't know if you're um, caught up in what's happening in China where like uh, Christians who are not like paying allegiance to Mayo and and what's the president's name, Jinping, like they're getting persecuted, like they're getting their allowances and their, their welfare taken away if they don't take down their Christian symbols. So like you have Christian, Christians in China being thrown into jail for not capitulating. And like you've had this happen all through the centuries, like Christian persecution isn't something that just happened in the first century and then that was it. And then everyone else is just having it easy. Like it's been pretty consistent but that's just my pushback on um well i don't i don't completely disagree with that i i think that uh real persecution uh helps a religious movement in that it it gives its fundamental it helps it finds it its fundamental voice if you will um the, the church, though, by and large in the world is not going through any real persecution. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you have pockets of that. Well, uh, yeah, and also, like, it was also going through, like, it, I, don't, I don't think that some, when people talk about persecution in the early church that they're talking about the whole church. It was only pockets of persecution, but it was still persecution. Like, in Rome, in Ephesus, like, it was still happening, but, like, it wasn't, like, global like you would agree with this like it wasn't empire wide like it was more like these town small towns over here or even rome itself when nero was in power they were being persecuted so well, I, I don't think yes. it's generally changed well right so there uh, this does introduce some some complexity into a, a topic that maybe maybe next season we'll get into uh okay. the rise of um the Christian church, because yes, I, I think that persecution, the stories of persecution uh, were uh, greatly exaggerated. Quite frankly, I don't think that the church did suffer all that much persecution over time for, for their beliefs per se. But yes, there were definitely pockets of persecution uh, that were, that were notable, at least just giving the Bible its full voice and taking it um, all as seriously as, as possible. And the church was, um, a recognizable force uh, in that place, uh, in, in those places in that time. Uh, but even those churches didn't survive. Uh, you know, none of those churches are around today. Um, and so, um, 
you know, you mean like the physical buildings? Well, yeah, like you know, what would what would you say the church of Ephesus is? I mean, are there Christians in Ephesus? Maybe, but I don't know how much attachment they would have. Uh, it's pretty attached if you go there. Uh, like all these places, like uh, I think um, out uh, Anglicans are very huge on apostolic. Uh, authority so like right i don't i don't actually believe in the apostolic chain of um yeah yeah. but uh, i'm not i'm not saying that you should but i'm I'm saying that that these churches for the most part like they they pretty much still are there if you go to these places like corinth or ephesus or galatia um so i mean like if you're if you're talking about like physical buildings and such but like if you're talking about actual people obviously the people are long dead so. All right, the people are long dead, and I think that um, a lot of their beliefs and uh, practices are long dead too. I mean, what exists in Such a, today <laughs> as, what exists okay. as the church today mm-hmm. is just a different animal than what exists as the church uh, two thousand years ago, almost by necessity. Uh, because focus well, on that a little bit and ask you like to be more specific, because like I don't I don't know what these practices are that people used to do in the first century that people don't do anymore. Well, I, uh, so house churches would be one example. Um, <laughs> I understand that there is a house church kind of movement, uh, which okay. is part of the broader church today, but you wouldn't define uh, the church as it's organized today as, you know, a series of houses with, um, you know, local people in a town uh, consisting of a board of elders and, um, it's it's just not organized that way anymore. Uh, churches have become something considerably more institutional and formal than what they used to be. Well, I have two points to make there. Like the church was meant to grow, and uh, so it's not practical to think that house churches would be the norm. And secondly, like there are church, like there are denominations of Christianity where they do have that form of government you just described, notably the Presbyterians, and also like the ones that do actually have house churches to this day. And actually I think like the past six months, Christians have been doing house churches. So it's like, because of the virus, so it's like sure. the virus brought that back. It's like, okay. I guess that's, that's my counter to you. Yay, Corona. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually had a chance to uh, be a part of the house church movement once upon a time, so. Uh, it's it's a topic that um, used to be near and dear to my heart, uh, and it's not so much anymore. But yeah, I do I do think that by necessity the church has gone through a lot of change. I wouldn't say that all change is bad. Um, I don't I, I wouldn't subscribe to that. Although there was a time when I would have. Um, first century the term I don't know if you're familiar with the term first century Christianity. That's a, a term that a lot of people use, especially uh, who come out of churches that are part of the restoration movement, um, different from the reformation movement. Um, they, they, the idea was to try to bring back the church in its original form with all of its doctrines and practices intact so that, uh, the establishment of a church today would look no different than the church looked, um, it in the first century, uh, and I think that that is a, an interesting but wrong-headed approach to the church. Uh, but I didn't always think that. 
so I, I was born of a group uh, that thought that way. Yeah, well, I would disagree with someone who thinks that way still. Uh, yeah, very yeah, much. Well, so would I. Um, but, but, but you do it for different reasons. Or, <laughs> but but if I if wearing my Christian hat, I'm I'm saying if I were still a Christian, I would yeah. not I would not be a first century Christian. I, yeah, I because Christianity wasn't meant to be like yeah, it was meant to like in terms of the gospel and the message. The message is supposed to remain the same, but the church was supposed to go out into all the world. And if you go to a different culture, then you can't like impose your own like okay like okay guys, time for house church. Yeah. When, that's, that's where it gets challenging. And it was challenging to me as a Christian. It's one of the reasons I had to change my view on that. Uh, but the challenge is, how do you dis- distinguish the doctrine from the culture? Uh, what do you mean? I think that the doctrine gets intertwined with the culture uh, in the New Testament in ways that it's kind of hard to pick it apart. So um, one of the things I had uh, intended to touch on today would be the role of women, just as one of those things. Uh, Is that a doctrinal thing or is that a cultural thing? Uh, And a lot of the great debates from uh, the first century to this one uh, have to do with whether, you know, what some passage said about the role of women, is that something that is a doctrine that all churches should, all, all Christians should adhere to, or is this just a cultural thing? that can change uh, from one place to another. Are you asking if it's like a deal breaker doctrine? <laughs> like, Well, no, I'm just giving you an example of okay. what I mean by uh, where it can be difficult to untangle uh, the doctrine from the culture. Well, I'd say there are some doctrines that are complete. Like they, they can't, you can't uh, be like, okay, it's okay if we disagree on these fundamental doctrines but then there are others like that complementarianism egalitarianism where it's like you can argue like people do argue all the time and and i personally believe that scripturally complementarianism is what's like what that's what's there but someone else will show up and be like hey what about these early church fathers over here who said like we have women uh deacons and and so on but i don't think that their arguments are compelling enough but i would not think that someone is fundamentally like rejecting christianity just because they go to a church uh where they have it's hard to say it's hard to be like specific because you have the churches that are more likely to be more liberal like also have their own baggage with them so it's really hard to find like a Bible-based church where they have egalitarian values, but also, like, by egalitarian, I mean, like, do you understand what I mean when I say women, egalitarian? Women and men uh, equal in uh, roles and responsibilities. Yes. Well, uh, more like egalitarian in that the woman, uh, like, they can have, like, a woman pastor on, on a... On a right. Uh, equal in all roles and responsibilities. They, there's, there's nothing that a man can do that a woman couldn't do. Um, yeah. That's like, I feel like, yeah, like there's a kind of like a misunderstanding. Like when people said, okay, women can't teach, they're not saying women can't teach all, like, they just mean that they can't 
pastor a church, as in be the head of the, the church. Right. Well, I find that a, a strained uh, interpretation based, based on the Bible. The Bible doesn't make any kind of distinction like that. Well, again, this is the point of debate. And this, again, I think this is like an internal debate between Christians where you just have to uh, look at the text and examine the text and see what it says. But then again, the, the bottom line is this. I don't think that necessarily is a deal breaker. Like someone can be like, okay, I'm an, I'm an egalitarian. And then I'll be like, well, that, that means you're not a Christian. Right. You know, like, growing up, growing up in my denomination, I did think it was a deal breaker. We thought that was a deal breaker uh, well, because the Bible, the Bible was quote unquote clear uh, on the matter. And yeah, so, I, I believe it's clear, but then again, it's like, it's a question of, okay. Um, unity uh, and uniformity like are we are no we yeah no, no that's no it's a question of do you obey god uh only when it's convenient or are there times when you don't want to obey god if the bible is clear and even if you don't agree with god's position it's god's position it's not up to you to agree with and so the the problem wasn't that you've got women uh teachers uh and preachers the problem was that you didn't agree with god uh, and no. you're going against his word. You are a well, state at that point. I, I feel like that's a pretty binary way of looking at it because there are people who genuinely do go to uh, egalitarian churches and they're taught under women pastors and they, they're legitimate Christians and everything that they learn, like is not, it's not like they're saying, Oh, I'm rebelling against God. I want to, you know, it's like uh, this. Is, I don't like what this verse said. There are people who genuinely don't even, know what complementarianism or egalitarianism means because for them what matters to them the most are the fundamental doctrines so if i was to run into someone who was like uh an egalitarian and they were like what's the deal with this in your church then that opens a door for conversation but it's not more like okay those people over there are all of them definitely are not christian like i'm not in a position to be saying something like that because like i'm not omniscient yeah well once again if this is becomes a matter of if the bible is actually clear on it you know if if, okay so if it's if it's clear then they're in rebellion they're they're... okay so okay (laughs) let me ask you a question let me ask you a straightforward question jesus said he was the only way the only truth and the only life are there people who call themselves christians who say Jesus isn't the only way, the only. There are, and there, I, think, I believe they are wrong. <laughs> Does that mean that the Bible is unclear? On, on whether that is true I don't think I don't I don't think it does once again okay. you and I would probably have read the Bible very much the same but once again well, if you're going to say the Bible is clear it is clear on a thing and then you can't give ground when someone says yeah it may be clear but I'm going to do this other thing I'm not giving them ground I'm saying I'm I'm I'm, I'm extending grace I'm saying like okay it's, it's, you don't it's it's not your right to extend that kind of grace they're either yeah, well, they are either I know okay I know for a fact that there are things that I have believed for the wrong reason like I believed them because someone told me and I was like I didn't even you know I didn't think much of it I was like okay I guess this is how things are I never looked into it so if someone believes in something that I don't agree with and I guess there's a possibly the chance for us to have a conversation about it then great like that's the point of right being a but it's, it's not it's not a matter of saying you're yeah, going to go to hell because you uh worship at a church where women preaches it's a matter of saying uh the the bible says this and now that you know it what are you going to do about it and i'm saying and, that there are christians like okay there are christians who 
like have to be confronted with these verses because some of them legitimately don't know about these verses. Right. And I understand they because them. they don't read their Bibles. I, I get no, that. I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's not my job to give them grace. It's my job to give them the truth of God's but, word. But and once I they have it. I, I think that's very uncharitable to be like, oh, it's because you don't read the Bible. Like if I asked you to tell me what First Chronicles 6 is about, like you wouldn't be able don't, to tell Don't me. try me. Don't try me, brother. <laughs> I've, right, go, I've won many a Bible bowl in my day. <laughs> All right, go ahead and prove me wrong. <laughs> well, no. I've also lost a lot of brain cells over time in my day. <laughs> no, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, like, it's kind of, I'm trying to be like, oh, you don't read the Bible because it, it I feel like, again. Oh, but it, what's like, if the Bible is clear, you can't, you can't say the Bible is clear and then give them ground to not understand what the Bible says. The Bible is clear or it's not clear. I think I'm, I'm, I'm we kind of misunderstanding each other. I'm saying this, all right? If I run mm -hmm. into some, someone who goes to an egalitarian church, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, by the way, have you read First Timothy 2? And they're like, What's, what does it say in First Timothy 2? Okay, awesome. Then they don't know what's right. in First Timothy 2. And then that opens the door for us to talk about it. That opens Whereas, the door for that for you to talk about it. You've talked yeah. about it. The Bible is clear, and they yeah, say, "Wow, that's that's interesting." I don't think I want to change churches, though. I really like my preacher. Now, now we're yeah. Well, again, that's again. I'll be like, okay, it's unfortunate you think that, but I'd like to keep talking to you more. It's not like I'm going to. Why be like, are okay, you continuing okay. to talk to them? Are they are they are they in danger of being unsaved if they reject the no. clear scripture? No, because. Essentially, being a Christian is about pursuit of truth. So if someone is saying, okay, the Bible is the soul. But they don't want to talk to you about it. They understand what they, you've talked yeah. to them. They understand it, but they like their church and their preacher, and they don't want to change. I've never run into a Christian who was like, I'm never going to talk to you again because we disagree. Like, No, I, no, no. They might, I, mean, okay. I just don't see the point. If, there's no, if they're not in any danger— of being uh, of running afoul of God's grace by being at that church where there's a woman preacher and they know because you've talked about it and they know that the Bible says that uh, that shouldn't be the case. I don't see why you're not being more true to your conservative uh, principles. How did I become the conservative in this conversation? <laughs> no, no, listen, because I guess you you grew up in a fundamentalist. You bleeding heart liberal. What's the matter with you? No, no, no. This is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that going to churches where uh, incorrect doctrine is being preached is okay. I'm saying that there are people who go to churches that are not perfect. Like, like there are churches that that I would consider biblical but they teach something that I don't agree with. So it's like you're saying, okay, what's the point of trying to correct someone who believes an unbiblical doctrine? Well, as a Christian, that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to share the truth, especially with people who already believe what I believe. So I'm sharpening, like iron sharpens iron. You know, I'm sharpening my knowledge of Christianity and the, uh, while I'm sharpening theirs. So it's like, it's, it's mutual. It's not a question of, of oh, okay. Uh, I guess you're not in danger of hell, so we might as well just disagree on everything. That's pretty much how you get like how many denominations there are because of complacency and people being like doctrine doesn't matter, and so you have like people splintering. I think it's kind of like your mindset of like, well, I'm not really in danger of hell. That makes someone go go over there and start their church based on head coverings or something. <laughs> um, and I think that like like people in my own church pretty much like I run into them and they're like, they ask me, what do you think about this doctrine? And I'm like, uh, haven't really thought much about it. Okay. And then we talk about it and I'm like, I disagree with you. 
and then we keep talking about it and eventually this has happened more times than I can count like I end up agreeing with them or they end up agreeing with me and in the end we end up being better Christians for it as opposed to being just like okay we believe in the fundamental doctrines that's just about it does does that connect folks I hope that you see what just happened here over the last 10 minutes or so I deserve the Pulitzer Prize for broadcasting excellence because I just made Mac Attack sound reasonable and moderate. What I've never that? heard that before. That's the, that's the Christian position. I, I mean, I'm just that's representing. The, I'm just representing Christianity at its base roots. Don't, don't worry. I'm going to make you sound uh, less reasonable here in a little bit. Um, so. Uh, look, I under, I get where you're coming from. I, uh, okay. I, I'm saying, though, even when I was a Christian, uh, my early days as a Christian, not in my later days as a Christian, <clears throat> in my earlier days as a Christian, uh, I would have definitely said, look, um, uh, there, there is a consequence to uh, not obeying God. They're in, in the in the consequences dire. And so being baptized or sprinkled in, in some denomination in the quote unquote name of Jesus is is no more protection for you than the person in Matthew seven when they cried, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these things in your name? And he says, No, it's it's only for the people who have done the will of the Father. And I would say that, yes, you have cried, Lord, Lord, um, but you did not, in fact, do the will of the Father when it came to uh, observing uh, the roles that he put in place uh, in the church, in the home, and in the society. And you chose to do your own thing there. Uh, okay. you, God, God gave you the grace to learn better, and you had the opportunity to choose better, and you did not. And so, that, you know, it's not my job to tell you who's going to hell or not, but it's my job to tell you that you have planted yourself on the wrong side of God's word uh, when you were in that condition. So, like, just a question of what you said. Like, it sounds like you're talking about salvation and how people, I don't know, make it into heaven. So it sounds like you're saying that there are things that someone must do in order to get into heaven, like personal works, unless I'm, I'm misreading you. Well, uh, so things that you must do or avoid, but the, ultimately there is only one reason that a person goes to hell, and that would be, and once again, I'm, I'm speaking with my uh, old Christian hat on, uh, the only thing that would send a person to hell is actually rejecting Jesus uh, yeah. at, at any level. Uh, and so you may accept part of Jesus, but reject other parts of Jesus. So, for instance, if you were one of those people, uh, one of those quote-unquote Christians who says, yes, I, I accept that Jesus is the way, but I also accept that there are other ways besides Jesus, I would say that you are not saved. Because and that is not that is not the message of Jesus. That is not, uh, that is, that's cafeteria Christianity where you'll take a little bit of here uh, and ignore a little bit of that and pick some off that table. And I had no patience for cafeteria Christians. Okay. Um, so you believe that that kind of applies across the board or? Absolutely. It, it applies. It's not to say that we all know everything 
perfectly about God's will. But as you say, as iron does sharpen iron, and as we study uh, together and uh, learn what the Bible does say, because I don't know, maybe you come from a background where Bible reading wasn't a big thing. And uh, as you learn better, you have the opportunity to accept or reject uh, those things that you learn. And when you reject the truths as you come to know them, then you, it, it's an indication that you are not really a Christian, uh, that you have only accepted uh, some small part of Jesus, but not the, whole, not the full frontal Jesus. But um, then this becomes an issue of like, would you believe so? Like, how do you get, how do you get saved? Like, how, what happens when, you, when someone gets saved? Yeah, so uh, satoriology, uh, a, a big word for a big issue that we don't really have time for. Sorry, okay, well, audience. Because, because um, that's that satoriology, it's a uh, big mouthful. But how someone gets saved matters in terms of like pretty much countering what you said there about like, oh, well, you didn't do this specific thing. Therefore, you just forfeited like heaven, like you can't go into heaven now because, well, you chose not to do this thing. Like, I believe salvation is solely by grace, and that's how you end up with the thief on the cross dying, and Jesus says, today you will be, you will be with me in paradise, and that guy didn't really have to, like, you know. Yeah, I can, tell, I can tell you about church splits over the story of the thief on the cross, so. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm using, it, I'm using it in this aspect to show you that, you know, like, the fundamentalist, like, and this is, common in fundamentalist denominations where it's like we're the only ones doing it right and it's like well i don't think you understand what the gospel is in the first place and again this is a conversation that could be fleshed out in well the you know but we're basically we're representing two different branches of conservatism so i mean when i say conservatism there there's a tint uh, there too. It's uh, just I think a little bit smaller. Fundamentalist is different than conservative. Well, fundamentalist is like we're the only ones. Conservative is more like these are the basic tenets of Christianity, and yeah. we're gonna hold, and they're gonna be true forever. Yeah, not the way yeah. I use it. So I don't. I I wouldn't draw that distinction. I but okay. uh, yeah. I mean, Calvinism is a particular branch of conservatism in and of itself. And so you're right. We do have very different ideas about soteriology how one ends up being in a safe well, position so i would a calvinist to agree with how people get like i, well, I think that even no 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 our, our yeah. my denom let me let me just uh, explain in, in okay. the tiniest fashion um my denomination was uh, actually fairly mainline in this way because we we didn't believe in the quote-unquote elect uh and so we did believe that everyone what's that no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I, I find it funny you could say you don't believe in the elect. The word appears all over the... I understand. The Bible is clear, right? Okay. <laughs> um, so we didn't, we didn't believe uh, in the elect. We would, have, um, uh, we would have believed more along uh, what I would call the mainline paths that um, we're all... Uh, either we're all blank slates or we're all sinners, um, one way or the other. Um, I'm not going to try to parse the difference between that, but we're all of the same kind and that we, uh, we through a process of uh, our own natural selection, if you will, <laughs> decide whether we become 
the saved or the unsaved, but we're not made uh, in one way or the other. Uh, so once again, so it, if I went any deeper, I would say we were we were all blank slates in the garden, and then after that, we were all sinful slates. But we had enough grace so that we could come to a path of righteousness. Uh, but okay. it, it was so that sounds up like to us to Pelagianism, then, right? You'd pretty much just say it's Pelagianism. Uh, you might, you might. I think a Calvinist would say that. We wouldn't have. Well, <laughs> so. you know, I, again, you don't have to be a Calvinist to say it. Like it, it's either, it's either you have a, a Pelagian view of uh, salvation or a semi-Pelagian, or you know the, the one that people say, oh, it's all Calvinist, but it's like it had nothing to do with John Calvin anyway. But like again, these nuances are important because then they inform how you think about passages like Matthew seven. Like if you think that, oh man, I. I could lose my salvation one day based on my performance, then you kind of missed the point of why Jesus had to condescend and, and enter into creation and live the perfect life. Because you're thinking that you're, you can match up to that somehow. And there are denominations where people believe that like, once you get saved, you are perfect. But that's, again, the Bible is clear that no one, like someone, no, someone who says that they're without sin, they're lying to themselves and to others. Um, right. I mean, look, in a, in a very odd sense, uh, Calvinism on the matter, on the question of salvation is more liberal than uh, <laughs> other mainline uh, uh, churches because we would, we would say you, uh, you have to, it, you're, whether you're saved or not is up to you. You know, God's done everything that he needs to do and he could you have do, to yeah. do your part. And the, the Calvinists would say, actually, no, it's not up to you uh, in that God's grace is all sufficient. If you are one of the saved, you're in. Wait, one of the saved? You mean one of, no. I, one I of, would say. If, you're, if you're one of the elect, you are one of the elect. It's, well, it's uh, not based on your, uh, anything that you do uh, well, at all. Well, I feel like the way you just explained it, it, it skips out an important starting point. Like you have to have point one before you can get to point two. Like you, you're this, the starting point of, of, of it of Calvinism isn't okay. You're elect, therefore you're saved. The starting point is this: that everyone is guilty. Everyone is under judgment, rightfully, and what everyone is owed is justice. And God, by His grace, chooses to save some for His own purposes for his own glory so it's not a question of like oh man i i'm so special or i'm so great or anything like that it's more like i'm getting something i don't deserve and therefore it's not like right. i'm but by the load, what i'm saying all i'm saying is the load is completely off of you it's not about you or it, it doesn't have anything to do with you really you're well whether you're saved or not has to do with god and if um, you know <laughs> if you have the irresistible grace um, well, that's not what irresistible grace. <laughs> Again, it, do you it's like, do you disagree with the uh, um, uh, date on uh, irresistible grace? Uh, what did Dale say about it? No date, uh, Chris. Date. date. Um, yeah. Uh, it, look, irresistible grace is, is as it's basically understood. It's um, a matter that if you have the, um, uh, for lack of a better word, status of being the elect. Uh, God will 
uh, God will call you in in his due time and his way, and you will accept it. Yeah, there, but there is no there's no sense of you got the call and then you decide whether you accept it or not. And on the other side of uh, Christian conservatism, it is that you get the call, but you decide whether you're going to accept it or not. The grace is quite resistible, uh, as opposed to in Calvinism, it is irresistible. Uh, I guess, again, this is a conversation where I'd, I'd ask someone to show me, like, why they think salvation, like, being born again is an act of the choice. Like, the way Jesus related in John 3, he was like, the Spirit blows like the wind, it goes wherever it pleases. It's not more like, okay, I get to dictate when I get saved. Because most people, when they get saved, they don't, they're not like, this was the day that I decided for myself. Well, you can say that, but then it's like God orchestrated the events and, and the circumstances that lead to someone being saved. And so great, irresistible grace is pretty much saying that God will save like to the utmost perfectly anyone that he wants to save. It's not saying that... Right, but Christians do treat it. Mainline yeah, Christians Someone's like is going to make someone into a robot and all of a sudden you can't do anything other than what you want to do. I, does that make sense? Like, I feel like it's being presented as if you're a robot and now, okay, whoa, I can't resist this now or something like that. But that's oh, not. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if robots a good uh, analogy, but it, it is um, a sense of uh, you are one of the elect and God has a, um, sovereign plan for your life that you, that, that will happen. And so part of that sovereign plan is that you will um, choose him. And that choice has yeah. nothing to do with you deciding that you're going to choose him. If God has made you one of his elect, you do not have the option to say, no, I don't think so. And, and why would you want the option of saying no thanks to? I, I, I don't well, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Well, um, but it, in mainline Christianity, you do have that option. And I'm saying that's there. there is a difference there. Um, I, think people, I, think, I think the thing is that most people are actually secret Calvinists. Like if, if uh, most Christians, I, I'd say that most people wouldn't be able to. insulting to people who are not yeah. Calvinists. <laughs> you know that, right? I, no, it's not. Because genuinely, like I will, I will read what people write about their testimonies and I'll be like, huh, okay. But then someone will be like, like the people that I've encountered who are like anti-Calvinist to the core, uh, they usually, I don't know, I feel like they're kind of, they've gone bad information. They've gone wrong information from people. And so they're angry. They think that this is the worst heresy ever. But if they take time to actually think about their conversion experience and to actually look at what the doctrines are and what they talk about then it's, it's it's not a question of like i i never used to be a calvinist like i know what it's like to read this stuff and be like what are you even saying like i only recently just became a calvinist about a year ago um and i can say that it's like you just have to understand it like it's not a question of um uh just uh, bad doctrine or, or, or heresy. It's just a question like some people don't know it. Like people are against it because they either don't know it 
or they just got bad information from someone somewhere and they believe that's what people believe. Uh, but let that, me, again, yeah. Let me, let me go ahead and advance the ball a little bit. Because um, sure. sure. um, it sounds like we're on the 20-yard line in the red zone. And <laughs> we're actually on our own five-yard line. Um, we got a ways to go. So we might have to power power through some of this. We might have to split this into two shows. Um, let's, let's talk Bible for a minute. Uh, okay. So I, I think uh, I have, I've said a couple of times that I think that uh, you and I probably have similar views about the Bible as in the type of literature it's, it is intended to be. Um, now, we don't agree on the Bible in that. I, I think the Bible is, is a pile of horse pucky. Uh, but as a piece of literature, uh, it representing itself as a certain way, I think that we might agree with how it represents itself. So I just want to make sure that I am right about that. Would you say that the Bible is the word of God? Yep. Not yes. a trick question. Okay. Uh, I'll let you know when it's a trick question. <laughs> so, um, so are you familiar with the term verbal plenary inspiration? No. Okay. So the, that term basically means uh, it is not just the word of God in some generic sense. It is the words, the exact words of God as God intended it to be. Every word, every phrase, uh, every thought uh, placed exactly the way. Uh, you mean like 100% word for word, the bio, like, like every syllable? Right. So let's, let's take out translation um, problems for now. Okay, I'm okay. not talking about the textual tradition. I'm talking about in this canonical, imaginary, um, original document that it, is the not, Bible. It can't, it can't be imaginary. They, at some point, there was an original document to everything that's in there. Maybe. I would love to sidetrack on that because I'm I not don't sure know what that... You mean by imaginary. Yeah, like, I don't. I'm not sure that there is an original document. So, for instance, when you when I think about an original document, I would uh, I would say this: the Bible is presented in a book of uh, sixty six books, thirty nine and twenty seven, um, and you know it has a certain never mind verse divisions. Uh, you know, it has a certain number of. Um, well, in fact, let's just stay with books. It's got sixty six books that make it the Bible that we know today. Uh, and that somewhere along the way in history, that was all of one piece written down, uh, as opposed to being pieced together a little bit at a time, this document here, that fragment there, uh, this correction here. I don't think there was a quote-unquote original text that we could look at um, and call the Bible. Uh, there is simply... If, if you think that, then you pretty much don't know <laughs> what the Bible is. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's controversial at all like to say that it's i don't think someone thinks out there that someone sat down and wrote genesis all the way to revelation in one sitting right um but so the idea uh being i don't i don't even know that uh someone sat down for instance in fact i i would know just the opposite that someone sat down and wrote the book of psalms the book of psalms is a collection of things written across a time period of probably 800 years. Um, so what is the original book of Psalms? What is the original book of Job? Well, the book of Job, 
uh, is not some original brainchild that someone sat down and wrote from uh, cover to cover, you know, chapter one to chapter 40. Uh, the book of Job uh, is a collection of of stories and ideas, a, uh, a, a long debate over, uh, you know, many, many decades, if not centuries of time uh, on the question of, uh, you know, why, why do bad things happen to good people and that sort of thing. And so you, it's, it's kind of a uh, amalgam of all of that put together at some point uh, and written down. Uh, that's, I, you know, original, original text of Job. I don't, I don't know that there is such a thing as that in the sense that we think of as original text. Okay. Um, uh, so the question was, I didn't, I didn't quite catch it. So, yeah, well, we just got on a tangent. Um, uh, so the question was, uh, when I mentioned verbal plenary explanation, I was just trying to uh, describe that as everything in the Bible being uh, the exact words, thoughts, phrases that God uh, intended, that he had a thought to say, and that was written down and uh, recorded uh, accurately. Yeah, I believe that you will find uh, places, especially in the Torah, where God tells Moses, write this down, uh, write, write down what happened in this battle with the Amalekites, or tells Joshua to write down the book, the, the, the law. So it's like, yeah, I believe that God wanted his words to be written down and to be passed on to, to children, to future generations, okay. and it's errant, explicitly stated. Errant, inerrant? Uh, where are you on the inerrant scene? Inerrant. Inerrant. Well, then again, you have to define. I, I feel like. Well, let me let you define it. Don't uh, don't don't worry about my definition. I'm an idiot. Well, how do you define inerrant? <laughs> don't sell yourself short. But inerrant is that the message itself has not changed. Like God's intention in getting across His message of redemption from the very beginning, and the story of redemption has not changed. It has not been altered in any way, and that it's possible to actually know what. Um, someone in the first century uh, was reading is the exact same thing I'm reading today. And that mm -hmm. even someone before in, in like the seventh century BC was had so the that, exact same. That speaks to today. textual errancy, uh, inerrancy, but what about mistakes? So could there be mistakes such as, uh, such as Bible error? No, no. I, I mean, actual mistakes. Someone said that two and two is five instead of four. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. So at this, this once again, not trick questions here. I just want to make sure that, um, I've got you correctly because this is, this is how I would have viewed the Bible too. Uh, when, when I was uh, a younger Christian, uh, I would say your age. Uh, in fact, I would have, I know I started thinking of the Bible differently, uh, in my thirties. Uh, but this is how I grew up thinking of the Bible. And so uh, I think that is, I think that is largely correct. Uh, I think that's the type of literature the Bible wants you to think it is, uh, if, if I can use that language. Uh, and that's a big difference, a very sharp difference uh, between Christians who read the Bible um, in a, in a looser way. Uh, so there's a big difference between the word, from God and the word about God. Yeah, so yeah, we, we would be in the word from God camp 
as opposed to people who are more progressive reading it as a word about God from fallible man camp? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would say that it's still the word from God. It's still right. the same. And you're saying word about God. What's the difference there? So the difference would be uh, the word from God, the, the word comes from God itself. And if it's just the word about God from men, then it comes from us. Uh, oh, no, 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 it doesn't come. Like most of it, like there are elements that do come from men, but other like primarily the messages, the message that it's conveying, it's from God. So if it comes from a human source, then it can have errors because humans have errors. There's nothing that we do that doesn't have errors. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I, there's a time I used to know, I used to I could be able to point out. Why. Okay, so like uh, the start of Ezekiel. Hold on a second. Uh, da, 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 da. All right, I don't know if you have like a Bible with you, but like... I use Bible Gateway. All right, like Ezekiel 1, when it says, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kebar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the 15th of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Joachim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest. All right, so like in verse 1, like verse 1 to, well, verse 1, you see that it's it's talking in the first person. Ezekiel is saying, "I saw visions," right? Right, but that but that verse would have been the thing that God wanted Ezekiel to say. No, I think again, I'm speculating here. I'm saying that Ezekiel was like, "Okay, this was when this happened. I saw visions of God." And then in verse three, like the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, and so whatever Ezekiel ends up writing in the the rest of the chapter. That's what, that's what God's word is. So Ezekiel can preface his thoughts and be like, okay, it was the 30th day of this day of this month or whatever. And then he relays the message. He kind of adds the human element to what he wants to say. Okay, so we would have a, a difference there because I would say that the prefaces that you uh, speak of, and there, there are other examples. Uh, Paul yeah, in First well, Corinthians um, seven, for instance, would be one uh, one such example where he says, "This is from me," and then another time he says, "This is from God." Um, uh, well, and then again, you know, like, well, I'm thinking generally of like when Paul ends his letters and he's greeting a whole bunch of people, like, "Hey, say right. hi to this person." But like, I wouldn't right. think that that's. From God, and, and bring me my favorite cloak. Uh, yeah, you know, when you, when you I would say that's false kind of speaking. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So we have a difference of opinion there. Uh, so, uh, How yes, is it different. It's I different. No, <laughs> so it's different in that I would say that all of those prefaces and those personal notes and things were things that God uh, put on their hearts to write. I, I agree. Words, like I agree. Like they didn't God. write those things in and of themselves because they just felt like chatting about their uh, achy stomach. God had his reasons for wanting it there. And so, well, ultimately, like I have to be like, in one sense, I can say that, yes, God, every single word that's in the Bible, God ultimately wanted it to be there. Every single dot and everything, like it all serves its purpose there. Like Paul saying hi to this person over there. I don't know how it could serve. Like it just shows Paul is a really friendly guy and he, he made friends with lots of people. You know, I, I assure that. you, my church figured out ways to find doctrinal content in, in that stuff. 
<laughs> well, you can like this profitable things in, in, in reading about Paul saying this person is a real encouragement because he's been praying for you all this time. Like, I feel like that's super important. You can't just gloss but over that. We would that not have before. said in any way that that was Paul writing of his own volition. That would have been the same Holy Spirit inspiration as when he talks about things that are obviously doctrinal matters. Uh, so well, we wouldn't have made any distinction between that. What do you mean by insp- inspiration as in like he just got like zapped into a new consciousness and he's like, okay, I'm just going to write it down. Yeah, I don't know. Or, what do you mean by inspiration? Um, that's actually I, one of my questions. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Nietzsche's definition of inspiration. Oh, he do just, we have to? Okay. It, it's, it's, <laughs> I'll use an atheist. Uh, uh, pretty much inspired, like if you're inspired to, to draw a painting or, or write a book, like you just have this clarity and you're just going off, you know, like, I don't know. What your profession is but like if you feel inspired to do something you just go out and do it and there's this vigor to it and you're like yes this is what i want to do and it's fun and it's awesome and i'm inspired to do it uh okay. so i i wouldn't okay. i wouldn't accept that definition of biblical inspiration though um because what definition would you accept well the, the definition that you gave is something that is internal and the definition that i think the bible is going at when it says all scriptures given by inspiration of god is external um, yeah, and so, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not external. I'm like I just I think it. I admitted that it's both. It's both. It's it's pr- like primarily in terms of the message, it's external. Like it's all from God externally, and then you have these tidbits that are from the person speaking, giving their own perspective or, or like giving their own pre- prefaces to info, to the uh, whatever they want to say. So in the letters, Paul him greeting someone else or saying, uh, bring me my cloak. That is him speaking, but then there's a sense in which God intends for that to be in the text too. Right. And I just, I just wouldn't have made that kind of distinction between the tidbits and the, in the big bits, because I think it's a dangerous um, slippery slope to go down. I think that most of my denomination would agree with that. Well, again, it's, I feel like you're, looking at everything through your the lens of your denomination and it's saying okay well, yeah i'm talking about i'm we're, we're talking about our various christianities and i can i can only speak of the christianities that i that i had well, um, no well you disagree with the christianities <laughs> whatever uh, term you're using you're 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 saying okay they're wrong but and you know they're wrong but you're still kind of saying well they had it right because of this well i think they were right about some things uh, and like i said I, I began in my 30s maybe in my late 20s start looking at the bible a little bit differently but i in my most fundamentalist uh, version um and i i honestly think that that was the the truer version to the text if you will uh the, the what you're calling the tidbits of information are just as inspired as the the big bites. Well, I'm not saying that they're less inspired. But I'm but, I'm, that, but I'm saying that they're not. There's no human element in there. Now this is where this is where my denomination would differ from some other denominations, because they do uh, believe and accept that there's a, a a lot of Christians believe that there's a human element um, in the Bible. But of course, there's a human element. Like I feel like the the fundamentalists, the denominations, like in my experience, like. There's no way you can say, like, for instance, people say, okay, this, like the KJV Bible, I don't know if you run into IFB folks who say that the KJV is word for word uh, what God wanted, although it's in English, and that 
the Greek and the Hebrew doesn't matter. There are people who say this, but that that's not. They're nut jobs. And I've been that brand of nut job for about 10 minutes, but yeah, so I understand yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with someone who says that because again, and this is again goes going back to what you said about oh doctrine and being like oh well if it's not endangering you, then why should why does it matter? Well, I guess it it all adds up in the end. Like if someone believes that the Bible is literally what Muslims claim the Quran is like that it's word for word dictation, then I'm sorry, but you're gonna be really disappointed when you find out that it's not, and then you're gonna be like oh no, someone right. lied to me. For 30 which, years which, which and then happened to me <laughs> yeah and then you start questioning everything else and i'm saying like i'm pretty much saying that that's why doctrine matters you shouldn't like uh, be complacent on something and be like oh this is a comfortable truth for me because this is what works for me it should be that you're seeking out the truth no matter what so that your faith can be stronger yeah so i um look i i I see where you're coming from, and I'm I'm just trying to make sure that you understand the differences between where you are and where I was. We both had a very high view of Scripture, uh, to be to be clear, but the view of Scripture that I am um, describing it's not it's not unique uh, to me or my denomination, but it, it's it's another view of Scripture. So it would be kind of like me saying, uh, okay, I am going to read these documents from the founding fathers, uh, these classic documents. But first, let me tell you a little bit about what I had for breakfast today. And so you might take that preamble of, but first, uh, and say, okay, this is David speaking. And then when I start reading from the founding fathers, you can say, okay, this is the founding father speaking. The way I learned to read the Bible was not to make that distinction at all. When Paul says, hey, guys, how you doing? Long time no see. Let me tell you about what God said. There's no distinction between, hey, guys, and let me tell you about what God said. It's all of one piece from the same source. It's not merely Paul deciding to write a friendly letter to some pals and then append his own opinions uh, and or sidebars to God's word. It's all God's word, equally so. Well, if someone if someone had that viewpoint and I was talking to them, I'd be I'd, the first question I'd ask them is who wrote the Bible. Well, they can say God, and they would be right. But they can also say man, and they'd be right. Like both answers are equally valid. But then the the, the doctrine of inspiration it, it, it's not it, it can be demonstrated. Like it's not a dictation. Like even the people in the New Testament, they're quoting from the Greek part. <laughs> of the Old Testament, they, they're quoting the Septuagint. So it's not like they thought that, oh man, we need the original Hebrew, like the, the original tablets, you know, the Ten Commandments, we need them here so that it can be verified that these are the actual words of God. No, they they usually, they didn't have that view and neither did Jesus. Um, so again, I'd say that your fundamentalist view on what the bible is is wrong because again i feel like that view is relatively new to christianity it's not it's not something that it that's existed for a long time it along the line somewhere in america like when you get to uh what century is this 
like by the time Joseph Smith shows up and, and you have all this uh, re revivals and, and, and you have uh, the the literalist reading of the Bible, like you have the Jehovah's Witnesses and the 144,000, and that means literally 144,000 people are the only ones who are going to heaven. I feel like that reading is based on eisegesis and culture as opposed to how the majority of Christians throughout history have read the Bible and understood how we got the Bible. Okay, so uh, you brought up the question of literalism. Uh, do you think that the Bible should be taken literally um, most of the time, some of the time, 50-50? How, how do you categorize um, the Bible in literalism? Like, also, it, I would have come from a very high percentage of literalism uh, with reading. Like, again, it's all contextual. You can't just say that all of it is literal because you're not, you're not like Jesus said to cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. Like, is that literal? Obviously, even if you're the most fundamentalist fundamentalist you can find in the planet, you won't cut off your hand because you know Jesus isn't being literal there. So it's, it's all a matter of context, honestly. And, and I feel like folks who are um, overly uh, literal are, are doing themselves a huge disservice because like language in itself is very nuanced. It's not just literal all the way. And it's, so, we so have, let me, let me just try an example uh, so that I can see where you are with uh, that Adam and Eve garden of Eden uh, creation, um, uh, roughly uh, 6,000 years of history, literal, not literal. Oh man, that's such a, Simple right, let's take them, take them one at a time. Was there a, literal, was there a literal Adam and Eve? Yes, there was. Okay. In, by, when you say that, do you mean as, as described in the text? Um, or are you thinking of some other way where there could be some maybe first man and woman uh, who were chosen among, you know, an existing species. I mean, as described in the text, do you believe in the literal Adam and Eve as first man and woman? Well, parts like I can't say the whole of Genesis is literal. Like it's impossible for it to all be literal. That's what I'm trying to be specific. Um, yeah. Well, I, I really haven't, honestly, I haven't been given it that much thought about like if the, it was specific, like I was listening to N.T. Wright to talk about how he thinks about it. And I'd say I agree with him in how he sees it better because his view on it is that, yes, there were specific people named Adam and Eve, and they were set apart for this task, and they rebelled, and so here we are. Um, but also there's a sense in which the creation story itself is a framework for how uh, God want, wanted the Israelites to understand uh, how to set up a temple or, or like the, the creation days mirror that. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm just trying to yeah. get a sense on how you apply literalism and how you don't, because I find that there's no consistent way to, to follow it. So here's an well, easier one. Um, 6,000 years or 13.75 billion years. <laughs> I, I, just just move the, move the needle that, closer it, it, to the it, one that makes more sense. Like you're asking if I'm on, I'm an old earth or a young earth creationist. Yeah, are you, are you a yak? And, and, I, and to me, honestly, it doesn't matter. I don't I care if it matters. I'm just trying to find out where, what you I, think I it think is based on your reading of the Bible. 
it doesn't, I don't think it's 6,000 years, but also people will get mad about that, but I don't think it's 6,000 years old. Okay, I don't it care who like gets mad at this. It's skeptics and seekers. Everybody gets mad. Uh, you know how many enemies I've made since I started talking today? <laughs> Marvin will probably get mad, but it's, it's okay. Don't worry, Marvin. He, it's okay. He's a long ways away from you. He can't hurt you. <laughs> so... I'm just saying, if you believe in the young earth or an old earth, it's irrelevant. The, the yeah. people who wrote the Bible didn't care. Okay. So, well, don't, but don't worry about me. I'm going to mock you either way. I just want, I'm trying to figure out which, how you read the Bible, because we're talking about literalism at the moment. And I, I hear a lot of, well, I, you, you can't take the Bible literal and Bible. So I'm just trying to get a sense. These are basic level setting questions. Um, if I ask so, Ken Ham this, he would give me an answer straight up, and I would know well, exactly what he thinks. <laughs> well, I think I give you a straight up answer. I'm just saying that I feel like there's like an implication of if someone gives an answer, then that means they're this way or they're liberal. Oh, but man, it, oh. but at least you're 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 reading this literally and not that. And I'm just trying to figure out kind of your your method of doing that by asking certain questions well, that I find level setting. There's no real method. Like the the method is like, okay, like the example I gave about Jesus saying, "Cut off your, or take out your eye, or cut off your hand." That that's not that's clearly not meant to be taken sure, literally. Sure, sure, very hyperbolic. But I'm talking about the the first parts of the Bible. Uh-huh. I, okay, okay, not a lot of they're not a lot of one-handed Christians. So I I don't think there are a lot of people taking literally. But there are Christians who used to self. Like self, like, like what's the term? The one, there was beating. there was never a lot of one-handed Christians. So again, well, I don't, I don't think that Paul says he uh, beats his body, and there were Roman Catholics who used Paul to. Paul like, was whip a freaking them. idiot who needed a counselor. Um, well, he, he was not true. obeying Jesus by plucking his eyes out. Uh, so well, I mean that doesn't that doesn't follow. Uh, I think that doesn't follow. So, yeah. so rather than rather than be confused over things like that, here's a story where a lot of, lot of people have uh, think the Bible is narrating history, and other people <clears throat> think it's narrating, um, not really narrating anything at all, but doing something uh, allegorical. And it's one of those places where you know you can have that conversation. So when I ask uh, old Earth, young Earth, the answer isn't shrug. You believe one or the other. I, I I honestly don't even give it that much thought. But if you were to add, like, if you put a gun to my head and say, "Is it young or old?" Earth, I'll say old. But it's not like any something that keeps me up at night. Fine, old Earth, but just say it. Just own it. No, I'm just, <laughs> I just have to qualify it. I just can't be like, "Yep, nope, yep, nope." I that would be pretty. I don't know. How is that? How does that need qualification? Boring. Oh, it's old. <laughs> that's that's the answer. You what you are is you are worried about uh you know maybe uh, your potential constituency or people who are listening to you that no. that you don't want to offend I'm, or you want to. I am definitely It's young or it's old. <laughs> okay. No, if someone if someone listens to this and they're like, "Whoa, you said something that I disagree with," then awesome. That's I mean, let's talk about it. That's Great. the point. And the answer is old. Uh, so you believe in some form of evolution. No. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, okay. Okay, that question is loaded with, with so many presuppositions. But you're you're asking, I don't know, like... How I do you get an old earth without evolution? That, that wasn't even evolution. a trick question. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Wait a second. Because the I, I don't know what you mean. Are you talking about Darwinian evolution specifically? 
I'm t I said some form of evolution. Some, Let me roll back the tape. <laughs> Do you believe in some form of evolution? Of course, because like okay, God didn't everything in, in, an, in an instant. It wasn't like day one and everything's here. Everyone's here all together, like snap of the fingers as is usually portrayed. It's more like it's a process. It was a process. Right. So, yeah, you do believe in a special creation of things. Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there was a special creation of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a special creation of frogs and a special creation of lizards and special creation of birds, special creation of fish, but it wasn't a creation of fish that evolved into different things. I... You, do you need me to ask that again in another way? No, 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 no. Like, I just generally don't know, like, how this relates to our denomination talk, but... Well, yeah, it, I believe because it's, 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 like, it relates to how you understand uh, the Bible in this, uh, in, in you know, how you read it, in the context of literal reading versus non-literal reading. You're doing well, fine. You just, this is not the trick part of the conversation, I promise. Well, well I'm, I'm pretty much saying that the Bible can't be read literally all the way through. And you agree with me, right? Uh, I, because there's some people who read the Bible literally all the way through. Well, uh, yeah. So I would, I would maybe define literally a little bit more carefully there, because as a Christian, I would have uh, categorized it as uh, literal. But I would say that you can't read the Bible stupidly. Uh, no, well, so well, there's, I mean, there's a big difference between reading it literally and reading it stupidly. Uh, taking Jesus' words and then chopping off your hand because you uh, masturbated is stupid. Uh, but there are people who um, do the whole beat themselves up because they, they believe that's what is being commanded. Uh, and I'm saying people who read the Bible like that are misreading it. They're like they, someone somewhere along the line told them that this is how you read it. And that person was wrong because they were applying their own standards their own culture onto the text as opposed right, but to I would, I would say that that person is also not good at reading books. So it's, it's not, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. say that that was a Bible's uh, problem there. I would say that that's the yeah. person's problem for not being good at reading books. They, they, they would have, you know, the same kinds of problems reading any other kind of literature too. Uh, so. I agree. Uh, but that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that when I thought that the Bible was making statements that were quote unquote fact statements that I didn't think they were literal, and I did in fact read uh, the book of Genesis, the early books of Genesis, as fact statements. I read Gen uh, Genesis one as literally as I read Genesis four, and I don't see any change in the tone from one to four, where you you should start reading Genesis four literally, but. Uh, you know, and stop reading, you know, it the other way, you know, like there's some kind of switch to flip. I, I wouldn't have, well, I wouldn't I'd have seen say, that at all. You can, you can see the switch happen. Like if you're, if you're really committed to it, if you read it in the Hebrew, you'll see the switch. But well, then most people Hebrew. say, why do I have to read it in the Hebrew? Well, well, so that you can answer questions like this. Um, well, like the okay. way they, I don't, I don't read Hebrew. Uh, so if okay. there's a switch, just, just describe it for me then, since you're fluent in Hebrew, tell me what, what Hebrew cues, uh, happen at the end of chapter three that make it obvious that, uh, all that stuff you just read is not literal, but what you read uh, following is literal. 
again, that's not what I said. I said like there are cues in the text itself that tell you that what you're reading at some point is for like chiasms. You know what a chias chiasm is? Is like um, uh, it's hard to describe it without like a, a board or something. But it's pretty much uh, how do I say it? It's a, a poetic device where like uh, something a point is listed first and then a second point is listed and then the middle the most important point is listed in the middle and then there's there are other texts that kind of point an arrow towards the most important text to it i'm so I'm familiar like, with this yes so okay so you know what i'm talking about okay i do uh, uh, i don't understand how i don't i don't see that in genesis 4 because we we get into genealogies we get into the story of um uh, lot, uh, not lot, uh, Cain and Abel, uh, and, um, of course. Uh -huh. yeah, but so I'm we, not saying that's, that's figurative. I'm not saying Cain and Abel is figurative. Okay. But I'm, but so what I'm saying is that Genesis four, when it starts talking about Cain and Abel is of the same tone as when it's talking about the snake, uh, you know, talk, uh, you know, talking, talking snakes, there's no, there's no change. There's no flip. Here. And so I don't see why you would not take Genesis 1 through 3 literally if you take Genesis 4 literally. First of all, because like when the person wrote it, they weren't breaking it up into chapters originally. They were just writing it and then someone came along and added the chapters and the verses. I understand that, but I'm, I'm, I'm making that distinction so that people understand where I'm talking about. I don't know where you're saying it stopped being one thing and started being more literal. I'm saying that like how you determine that is like just by reading it contextually like you just like when you read okay this is what Cain did then obviously that you start reading it literally there it's not a question of like okay I'm going to read the whole thing figuratively all the way through till I decide it's now literal or I'm going to read the whole thing literally till I decide it's figurative it's it's all based on context and okay, like, but it's the same again, language again. and it says God made uh, this thing in the evening and the morning was the third day. Uh, or okay. uh, so God told the, the the man not to eat of any fruit uh, from the forbidden tree, uh, but the tree was placed in the central uh, part of the garden. The fruit was attractive to the woman. Uh, the, a tucking snark, uh, snake came up to her and told her uh, that it was good and that God was wrong. And so she plucked it and ate it. And then the whole world went to, to heck. All well, of that is the, written in the same tone as, and then there was Cain and Abel and they had these sacrifices then, from God. And they, But then where, when did the seventh day end? If you're taking it so literally, like it doesn't say the seventh day ended, does it? Uh, it doesn't count days throughout the Bible. It stopped counting days, but I don't think that that's indi any indication that the seventh day didn't end. Uh, if I well, give you a narration of uh, a week uh, and I uh, tell you what happened on the seventh day, that doesn't mean there wasn't an eighth day. Well, again, the story itself always makes a point to tell you that this is when the day ended and then this is when it started. And then when you get to the seventh day, it kind of like, cuts off and, and starts going off into the, 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 the main point. So again, the author of the story is definitely just, just trying to get to the main message they're trying to get across as opposed to like, I think like stressing out about <laughs> if it's literal or not is just asking the wrong question. You might as well be asking, well, did they have belly buttons or did they like, what did they have for dinner every night? Well, I think but it's, so, but it is a matter of, it is a matter of hermeneutics though, isn't it? A matter of figuring out what parts are, 
you know, it, well, like I said, there's a big difference between reading something literally and reading something stupidly. Uh, I think that you can read the Bible literally without reading it stupidly because the Bible makes statements that I think are intended to be uh, read literally. And it also, it also tells stories that seem to be more allegorical, but it's not always easy to tell the difference. You know, like the prodigal son, that's not, that's a parable, right? Uh, yes, I think it is a parable because I think it says okay. it's a parable. Uh, okay. a, lot of, a lot of parables are very helpful in saying, and here's a parable. No, it's, most of them, like, just, how do you know that story didn't actually happen? Well, if it says it's a parable, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it as a parable. Uh, now, a better example that you could give would be uh, the story of Lazarus, um, the, the rich man and, and Lazarus. Uh, is that a parable or is that uh, an account of an actual event? Um, the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's is is that a parable or not? We don't we don't know. It doesn't actually say. Uh, so that would be, I think, a better par- example of the type of thing that you're talking about. But in that situation, where it's not clear whether it's a parable or not, uh, I can tell you in my denomination's reading, we read it as literal because there was no reason to think that it wasn't. Um, and, you know, I understand the case for it being a parable, don't get me wrong. In fact, the case for it being a parable may be better uh, than the case for it being a literal event. But it is nonetheless not easy to determine which it's supposed to be. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I would, I would say that if you don't have a reason to believe that a thing is uh, figurative, then you should take it literal. Uh, because uh, otherwise you you have to you have to uh, take into account the literature of the Bible itself and what the Bible is. It's the word of God to give you the words of life. Uh, and uh, it's very important that you know what they are. And many of those words are instructions. Uh, and so if you if you have a, a God, let's say that the earth was young. Now neither one of us thinks the earth is young. But let's just say that um, the earth was actually 6,000 years old, thereabouts. Then it would be easy to say that's consistent with, with Scripture. All right. Right? I mean, you, would, you, could, you can point to Scripture and say, well, of course it's 6,000 years. It says so right here. You see how prescient uh, the writers of the Word were? You wouldn't say then, oh, that's only allegorical. It just happens to be 6,000 years. It just happens to be young, and the writers happen to be right about that. No, you wouldn't say that. You would say that the writers are speaking prophetically. Um, but now that we can say, oh, no, the earth is not actually that young. It's very old. Then I think that leads many Christians to say, oh, well, obviously, the Bible is not saying that the earth is young, uh, because then that would make it wrong. No, 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 no. I feel like you're misunderstanding. Like, I think you're ascribing to the Bible. First of all, we agree that the Bible is a collection of books. It's not like, like, again, this comes into the issue you were talking about with uh, your fundamentalist beliefs about the Bible being the literal word of God. Like, it, it's straight dictation and it, every single word and syllable is straight. Like, there's no human element to it. And and I'm saying that the the, the author of Genesis isn't writing that account thinking, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to tell people how old the earth is because he doesn't 
really care about telling people how old the earth actually is. He cares about telling people the story of Adam and Eve and how things used to be and what they did. Like that's his purpose. That's his goal. His goal isn't to like make some cosmological uh, argument about this is how old the earth actually is. I'm surprised like, you have that low of a view of scripture for that particular not, passage. It's not, it's not a low view of scripture. It's actually the highest view because the, 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 the highest view is to recognize what the actual message is as, as opposed to like beating around the bush and well, but how did you recognize what the actual message was how did you determine that the author didn't care about the age of the earth or the process because by which god created the, he doesn't tell you that, that 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 he cares about he just says in the beginning god created the, the heavens and the earth he, and well he gives you he narrates a process uh, uh, Mac, he, narr he narrates a process. In, in, it's not like this is how old, like you know how people, like I just read Ezekiel to you, and Ezekiel uh, 1, Ezekiel cares to tell you like what time and date and what, what he was doing when he got this vision. That's something that's important to him. The author of Genesis is not overly concerned with telling The author of Genesis is very concerned with giving us ge uh, genealogies that, um, that, are at least somewhat time about, traceable about the age of the earth like even even okay genealogies even when you go to matthew and he's giving jesus genealogy like you know that he does skip generations right i absolutely do but when you when you say when you when you talk about when you talk about the creation and uh dating the uh dating creation if you will uh of the universe it starts very quickly with Adam, and there is no room for. Well, uh, no, there's no room for 14 billion years. Simply um, an assumption because you don't know how many days. First of all, when it says God created the heavens and there, you don't even know how long Adam was in the garden because the author doesn't tell you. Was Adam there for a thousand years, or was he there for a day, or two weeks, or a month? Like this isn't what the author is concerned about telling you like like you can you can ask these questions but like the author isn't going to tell you because that's not what's relevant to what he's trying to get to he's not he's not trying to give you a history lesson of how adam uh how long adam was in the garden okay well adam wasn't in the garden for 14 billion years uh, so well, that doesn't that doesn't actually apply well, so you could you could all you the best you could do I'm is add saying. a third date to the possibilities 14 billion years or it's six thousand years or it's two hundred thousand years you could do that no, I'm, but, I'm, I'm, that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that the author isn't concerned with answering questions that you can think of any question and be like oh what did they used to do when they were bored or something like that like the author isn't concerned with telling you stuff like this. He's concerned okay. about he's concerned about telling us the things that he told us, and yeah. and so the things that he the things yeah. that he told us uh, then become a matter of interpretation for you because he doesn't care actually about the process that he narrated. He doesn't care about the timeline that he gave. He doesn't care about any of that, but he cares my, about this other thing that you say that he cares about. I don't know how you get there. Thinking, well. Okay, let me explain how he gets there is every author, everyone who sits down to write anything is writing with a purpose. Like if I want to write about my day, I will write about the important things that happened. Or I could write about every single detail that happened. Like, oh, I, I woke up and I went and got a cup of tea and then I went and combed my hair. Or I could say I, I woke up and I got ready and then I went to work. Like I'm, I'm leaving out stuff because – 
I have purposes when I'm writing what I'm writing. It's right. Not so that maybe I'm, maybe you narrate the process of how you make uh, your coffee. It's not for me to come along and say the author doesn't care about the process of how you make coffee. That's no, the equivalent I'm, I'm of what you're doing I, here. No, no, no. What I'm saying is I'm not saying that you don't care about that. It's not it's not pertinent to my goals. Like I want the way but you I'm, assume I that you know the goals of the author beyond what he wrote and you don't yeah. have any access to that at all. Wait, 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 wait. When you're reading a book, do you always assume that the author meant something else than what they wrote? No, I assume the author meant exactly what they wrote, which is why when I look at Genesis, I assume the author meant exactly what he wrote. Yeah, but that's exact. And no, no, no. That's exactly what they wanted to get across. The message that if someone is writing an autobiography, a biography or an autobiography about anything, they'll tell you what they they want you to know. They won't tell you like what color uh, t-shirts they're wearing that day because that's not relevant to, right. to what they want. So to I get feel across. like I'm being truer to the author, the authorial than you are. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being truer to the authorial intent than you are because I'm, I'm looking at what the author wrote and you're, you're trying to look at beyond what the author wrote to say what he really meant. No, I'm not going, be, actually going beyond what the author, author wrote is being like, oh, he meant it because he meant to talk about how, the, how old the earth actually is when he never actually even hints at caring about how, the, how old the earth really is because he just begins with the creation and then he goes straight to adam and eve he's not interested in being like oh by the way the animals were like this for like however long or like oh there used to be this and that let me let me just go back a half step because i think we have a we have a place that i wanted to clarify about 10 minutes ago that i didn't so when you uh, say the uh, the author of genesis um and that he had a point to make uh, this is one of those places where I would just disagree as a fundamentalist Christian, I would have disagreed with you strongly. The author of Genesis didn't have a point to make. Screw the author of Genesis. God had a point to make. Well, you heard, of course God had a point to make. I'm God, not, I'm but God, God is the author. The author of Genesis, the, the, the one who took the notes or took the inspiration. I don't, I don't even care what his name is. Let's call him David, Moses. I don't think it doesn't matter. Still, I think you're still not understanding what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is it's still like the, the, the Bible isn't literally dictation that came from, like dropped from the sky. But, the way people but say it, the way you sound, the way you're sounding, it's as if you're saying, "Well, Moses got a bug up his bonnet uh, and decided to say some things, and so this is how he chose to put it." That is not a high view of scripture. What, what, what does a high view of is? You're saying that you're literalist. Uh, fundamentalist view of scripture is the only high view. Like I have a high view of scripture. Higher than yours. I read it the way the people who read it, like contextually, wanted it to be understood. Not not the way I want. Not what I like. I don't read Genesis and I'm like, hmm, what's what's this gonna teach me about science or, or, or cosmology or like whatever I want to think of. It's I'm reading this because I'm like, okay, what's the what's this guy trying to tell me? Oh, he's trying to tell me about Adam and Eve. How did you determine that your reading is correct and that my reading is incorrect? Well, that's easy by like, okay, who's doing more exegesis and who's doing 
eisegesis. Eisegesis is you're saying, okay, this looks like it's a story about how old the earth is. When I'm saying, well, this is the story about the fall of man because that's what the story is about. So let me let me just stop you there. I could have I could have spent the last twenty minutes arguing your side of the argument. And I've done a better job than you. I I only yeah, stuck I with it as long as I did because you did a lousy job of of defending your position. Look, no, this is that's really understanding, dude. But like, I I think that i i've represented what i'm what i'm trying to say and when you say oh you have a low view of scripture that's kind of not true like yeah but but when you say things like moses wanted to tell a particular story that well well here's the thing he did like like there's no way again there's no way that if if i met someone from the church of christ and they're like telling me these things that you're telling me that i would destroy their faith in minutes by pointing them to variants and being like so what happened here? Why is this not matching with this? And then they will be all over the place because the, what they were taught is wrong. It's just wrong. You can't read the Bible like that and think that you're actually treating it the way it's meant to be read. You can't read the Psalms and, and use them as a, as a lesson on, uh, on how the world is. Or you can't read Job and like think that it, he's making uh, a, a case about how the world actually uh, physically works when he talks about the foundations of the world. He's not, he's not being literal. But some people read it literally, and that's wrong. And I'm saying that when you read the Bible with your own uh, preconceived notions, or okay, it needs, it's telling me this. It, I want it to tell me that I'm right. Then you're always going to end up wrong. Instead of instead, you should just be reading it and let it change your opinion on what on on what you think is right. So let me um, let me just let me just say I think that uh, that last speech of yours was a, a a good clear statement of your view of the Bible. I'm actually glad that that's your view uh, of the Bible. I think that you'll surprise a lot of people that that's your view of the Bible. I wanted to make sure that that was clearly. I think that's surprising. Uh, I think presented. most people see it like like that. They Maybe. Okay. I don't know if I don't know if that's true or not. I it may be true of most Christians in the big tent Christendom kind of way. I don't think it's true in the fundamentalist uh, Christian kind of way that I think of. And so, what you they're not the French. That's that's just wrong. Well, um, it's true because you said you were a small not, denomination. Yeah, but that's my, that's my denomination. That's that's a small piece of a bigger. Uh, piece of Christendom, though. Right. And How so many? when I stop, hold on, hold on. Okay. When I talk about the fundamentalist um, group, notice I uh, remember when I said the Southern Baptists, um, I made a distinction between um, your Reformed Baptists and Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists are probably the, I think, the largest Protestant denomination group uh, in the world. Uh, they view the Bible the way I'm describing. 